first rule in grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport. You know, crushing, pinch grip, thick bar, wrists. If the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Grip Show. Uh, man, I got a, a highly anticipated guest with me today, and uh, one that I have to give thanks to, because if it wasn't for this person that I'm about to interview, I wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing. Um, if anybody's ever followed me, seen anything I've been doing, or even followed the show, whatever, I've always given credit to basically my intro into Grip being, I came across Jed Johnson videos and Adam Glass videos. And those two guys are pretty much the reason I even found out what an inch dumbbell was, what a blob was. So just burning through all their videos, that's my intro into grip. Um, so welcome to the show, Adam Glass. And Thanks, uh, man, uh, super excited to have you as a guest. Like I said, if it wasn't for you, man, I wouldn't be sitting here. So uh, I I mentioned on an earlier show that, you know, I'm not saying what some of these giants do isn't impressive. But it's hard for me to relate to a 6'8", 4'40", Brian Shaw doing some crazy shit. But, you know, that's just not something I can duplicate. But when I saw your videos, one of the things I noticed was, you know, hey, I got this guy that's like, this dude's got like a 6'2 frame, you know, low 200s, whatever. I'm like, I could kind of see myself in that. You know, I could kind of see myself in that video. And I'm saying, well, what is this dude doing? Like, you're basically the... I don't say average size guy. We're we're above average size for typical people, but I'm just saying like you kind of see your everyday regular person, but they're doing these phenomenal feats that you wouldn't you'd almost think is like a magic trick or something. But you know, these feats of strength with the inch dumbbell and stuff like that. So I just want to thank you for being a pioneer in the sport, setting the foundation, and even opening my eyes to know that this was a thing. Because like I said, if if I didn't come across those videos of you guys, I wouldn't have a clue what I'm doing right now and I wouldn't be doing this. So just thanks for that. Um, and, uh, outside of that, um, one of the big things is you haven't been very active on social media lately. Um, been focusing on some other stuff. Um, do you just want to give anybody like an update of kind of what you've been up to or what things have been like? You know, the, so the, it'd be two parts to it. So for me, the the first thing is relating to social media. And this is actually something I've done over the years. Um, I think social media is one of those tools that like all good things, you can take every good thing that a person can get out of it or that people have done with it. And there's a positive list over here. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when you take some of the negative aspects of it, the negative aspects can be compounded if not managed well. And this has been something, I don't know, this is probably the third or fourth time over the last 15 years I've done it. Uh, I will take periods of time that, I mean, like for right now, my current Instagram, I bet I have, I don't know, a hundred unread messages. And it's, yeah. it's about some problem I have with anybody else. It's just something I've done for myself. Um, I was experiencing a thing sometime around November, December that I was noticing that, you know, jumping in and, and looking around on a given day, it wasn't making me feel good. And, and not in the sense of a, of a, um, like, is this a good use of my time? It was that 
the way my feed was looking, I was seeing a lot of negativity from people and that's fine. Cause that's, that's how they want to do their deal. And I just asked myself one day, I said, you know, what would that look like if I just don't open this app for a while? And a couple months went by and then a lot of months went by. And then you hit a point that it's like, shit, I've, I've had people reach out to my wife because they're worried something happened to me. So, okay, I'll check in for a couple key people and let them know things are fine. Um, yeah. There'll come a time that, that I'll start messing around with it some more. But I, I think the thing we have built a community through the use of social media, and that's a good thing. There's, there's been far more good things and bad that come out of it. But the, the thought I would want for people to have is to make sure that, um, you're, you're making decisions based on things that are going to be good for you today, good for you tomorrow. Okay. And for whenever I've taken time off from using a lot of social media, it's, it's always made it where it was finally enjoyable to, to maybe jump back in and play with it. Um, so that's, that's that part is there's, there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's a, there's a timing every few years. I find it just useful to not fuck with any of that shit. Um, no, it makes sense. Many, many of the same things we've, we've increased our ranching operation by a massive percentage from last year to this year. And that has been uh, good and bad. There's, there's a lot of challenges to getting into something that is, is it has so many kinds of demands and the, there are so many kinds of problems that you wouldn't even imagine you'd be facing until your knees deep in it. And that has been a, a big process of the year. It's uh, we're we're currently in a stage right now where we we downsized a lot coming into the heat of the summer. Um, we had quite a few animals die. We had a lot of expensive vetting that had to be done. So we learned some lessons in how the operation needs to go for the rest of the year. Um, and then on some side projects, I've got a couple of very very new things that I'm into. We, we will see what pans out and what doesn't. Um, the last couple film projects I've had any involvement with. Are, they're all like in this staging point, like something will get will get created and then it will get shelved as they try to sell it to a network or a studio. And that can go on for years, that whole process. So uh, all the stuff that I'm currently involved in, I have no idea what pan out timelines look like, if anything pans out. Uh, it's completely possible that if when a studio picks up the project, they might even change the whole cast. But that's fine because it's just been this crazy weird it's something i didn't think i'd ever be doing myself kind of deal with it yeah um, because that's uh th that's acting you're speaking of right there's yeah there, there's some acting type gigs or roles that you've been doing and like you said something might be in production and just because it comes out a certain day you don't know when that actual like filming started it could have been two years prior before the actual people see the final product or something um, some of the I know have told me that they get a they get a paycheck every month from a project that they filmed three minutes worth of content for the project for 10 years ago, it didn't even get in the film, but they're, yeah. so they get a paycheck residual. So they, they, you know, they would tell me the same thing. Like, look, hop into whatever comes up, but don't like, don't be calling your mama the next day and telling her mom, I'm going to be on TV. Cause that might not pan out the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> been has been it has been a very different year of training so what i would have said to anybody up until last year is that uh, i have not ever taken any time off with the small exception of times i was doing either like a heavy static contraction or power factor cell training which which is required you have to take many days off in between 
but even then on those days, I, I really wanted to train. Um, my last two years had, had two big derailments. Okay. So I had a, um, very severe, you know, so let's see if I can get this on film, if this comes up right. Okay. I don't know if that shows up right for you guys, but that's literally all scar tissue. Can you yeah. see that? that uh, looks- it, it looks fairly clear from where I'm at, but yeah. And I, and if anybody goes back and looks at the injury, I, I remember when it happened in the, the pictures oh. of it at the time and stuff. So, yeah. And so the crazy thing is that something will not appear to be too big of a deal, except we're dealing in an arena where, um, having a messed up pointer finger is, is not exactly optimal. Um, so a couple of things that I like to do the very most, especially flat, when it's a flat pressure this way, there's, there's a pain point in there still. It feels numb. It feels like a cigar. Like when I touch that right there, it feels like I'm banging my thumb on a piece of wood. Um, and it close all the way now. So that part is good, but that's, that was a big ass slowdown. Like that was, it was probably three months. I could still do fat bar lifts because when I'm squeezing on a, on a dumbbell, there's, there's probably more pressure between my ring and middle finger and then my wrist than on index. Um, my pinch lifts really went to shit. Um, hub lifting even worked still. And then some of the little dumb fun things that I like to do, like, uh, card tearing, I can still tear through a deck of cards. I haven't, I haven't done a deck of cards in probably six months. The last time I picked up a deck of cards, I was right through it like always, but it feels weird the whole way now, just from it pressing on its spot. So that, that was a setback. And then I had like three different incidents in a row of not a bad back injury, but it started to stack. So you start getting the pain. I had one from being turned in rotation, dragging a fucking goat across the yard. I had one from um, uh, digging a hole, busting up rocks. And then I had another one yet again, moving goats at a previous time where that has made it where I've been, I'm going to be moving more for probably a calisthenics time period of a year or two. um, Just because on the, on the lifting side for me, if it's, if I, if I didn't ever have to deadlift again, that would be fine because I still do things like back levers and kettlebell swings types of squats and sled work yeah. for our sport of course it's pretty much all deadlifting so yeah. Yeah. before i'm going to jump back in i need to make sure that this is going to be the persistent every other month you're throwing your back out or something because everyone i know who gets in that loop it's not that they can't make progress it's that that one fuck up every now and again when it happens feels like such a setback that it causes them this big delay and their motivation and their, and their enthusiasm to do it. And because I'm not stuck in that loop, I want to stay out of it. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I mean, I'm somebody that's also dealt with like some lower back pain, like a uh, disc type shit where you pinch a nerve or it starts, disc starts pressing on a nerve and shit. And you almost feel like, you know what I mean? You just need some time off from heavy deadlifts. But like you said, in our sport, or if we're talking grip sport, arm lifting, whatever the case may be, everything's just a different variation of a deadlift. So yeah you got to be able to fucking deadlift. Um, so um, you did mention there, you know, you said before jumping back in, does that mean that at some point you do plan on returning to competing in grip or doing competitions again? Oh yeah, I will. There will, I will definitely return um, to doing competitions, especially it's, it, it would be, it would be, man, it would just be the wrong move to stop now because yeah. if I would, 
So before 2010, 2010 into 2020, and then 2020 forward, we're, we're now hitting a point where there's probably the most to get to go do. You know, I can remember if, if you go back to like 2010 and 11, the entire year was basically built around nationals when that was going to happen. If Ode Hagen was going to have an expo event in LA, if Chris Rice was going to have Gritmas at his house, uh, or whatever I, David was going to throw, right? Okay. Like, and I was going to say, and then maybe like a Mighty Mitts or something. It, well, Roughly, or Mighty, Mighty Mitts was just getting, it was just getting going. Okay. And so I'll tell you the first, the first two years, um, not a criticism as I say this because they gave the market what they asked for. The first two years of Mighty Mitts, if you were not either Derniat or Jed, because Sorenex was aware that, hey, these guys are winning contests in their sport at their highest level. You pretty much had to be either like a, you know, mid, mid-tier to high-level uh, strongman performer or someone with uh, a name that would pull in. Like, so Sorenex was pulling in their customer base. So they had some Highland game throwers that were giants coming on out. You had power lifters that also dabbled in some grip coming out, guys like JL Holdsworth. Um, you yeah. had world's strongest men competitors like um, Mark Felix coming out. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you, like for me, my first couple of years of seeing Mighty Mets, it never occurred to me that that would be something I would even get to do. Um, I sense. did 2013 for me, that was probably out of all my contests. That was probably the most memorable of contest experience just to stand on the strongman stage and you look out and all you see is a hundred thousand people. And like, wow, holy shit, like these people have stopped what they're doing right now and they're about to watch us lift. That's amazing. Um, but at the time, I'll tell you, I didn't think that that would be something I'd be into. Now, you jump into today by comparison. Uh, what it appears to me is you have um, one of the various leagues is holding a meet somewhere in America every month of the year, it looks like. It appears that there's always a variety of online challenges the various equipment companies are always offering their own challenges, their own certifications, um, you know, their own equivalent to a strongest hands or a super series or all these different things. There are um, much, much, much bigger. There's bigger money into both the expo style events and there's more effort in, in the local contest. So I've been to a couple local contests that we were like, Man, we're lifting in in uh, somebody's backyard, and they didn't even pr- provide water to the competitors, and that's fine. Like, if <laughs> whatever, and, yeah. and you know, there are some people that are running contests now where you go and they have um, a very deliberate, well thought out execution for their event. Um, so, to me, with all that being said, it it would be a loss to just never do that again. Um. I will be interested to see where my interest falls as far as, okay, well, what, what am I trying to get out of it at this point? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I've done all these things and got nothing left to prove. It's not like that kind of thing. It's more of a, what would captivate me enough to make me want to walk out in that barn when it's 120 degrees and pick up that fucking weight when I could also go sit in that fucking pool where it's 80 degrees and drink a beer. Right. So um, there will be something that will come out. Uh, I will tell you right now, like for me, when, so when I got back into grip training coming out of the like 2017, 2018, 
the, the funny thing is, is what was the most interesting thing to get going was, is so here in DFW, we've got um, Tanner Merkel, Tommy Jennings Jr., Robert Najedli, um, uh, Isaac popped up, which what a freaking monster he is. Um, we had guys like Steven Anderson and, and uh, Roy Golden driving down from Oklahoma. We had guys uh, like Clay Edgen driving up from Austin. So we had this almost immediate active momentum going. And um, for me, it was fun just because my time lifting in Minneapolis, I had a very diverse crew, but I'd never been beaten one time in Minneapolis ever. Yeah, yeah. That is boring. And it's, I was inviting out anybody I could get to come out. And some of the guys that used to come lift in Minneapolis, absolute fucking monsters. Uh, Matt Browse, Chris Matheson, both those guys would come in and on any day of the week, it didn't matter if they were hung over with fucking pizza grease on their hand, there were no set of number threes. You know, this is in 2011 and 12. It's not like everybody could do it back then, like the way it is now, apparently. You know, yeah. Nowadays, closing a number four for reps, you're a nobody, right? So it was, it was just a, you know, we had an active scene there and then to get here and it's like, fuck, like this is, this is a very, very heavy crew to be the lift with. So that got to be fun. And then to have Tanner with me, who Tanner and I are within a half inch of each other. And if you look at contest weigh-ins, we've been within plus minus probably 10 pounds, almost every meet yeah. throughout the, like when, when we both got going, it's funny. If you look at the very first score sheet that both our names appear on, we both lifted under 200 pounds. I think he was at like 191 and I was like 198. Um, yeah. so we came up together lifting. And it was fun because Tanner is just fucking good at everything. He's good at everything. A new One of us would get a new handle in the mail and you would hand it to Tanner and he would go fuck around and chalk up on it for like five minutes and lift the new world PR on it. It's, it's yeah. just it's absolutely incredible, man. So lifting of Tanner was motivating to me and Tanner liked to travel the way that I do. So it was like, well, hey, let's go to Arizona and lift Aaron. Okay, cool. We did that. Let's go to the Arnold. Okay, cool. We did that. Let's go to the Olympia. Let's go to Finland. Uh, you know, I didn't get to go on the Russian trip, but Tanner and those guys, they went out to Russia and lifted. I thought that was great. Um, it was it was fun because you had the crew lifting monthly, just like you got going on right now with some of the guys. And then that really does feed into a contest because one of the things – the more you do this, one of the things that happens is, man, it. there's no bigger turnoff to me for a contest invite when I look at the events and look at the roster, and I can tell you that I'm going to take first that day. Yeah, that, exactly. That is, you know, why, man? I mean, if, if, if I really honestly in my heart think like, man, there's no way anybody's going to beat me at that contest, I probably will pass on it. Um just be, and it's it's not like a money or a time thing. It's more like a can I find an, an arena that's really going to challenge me more? Like I've liked King Kong for that reason. There's a lot of things I don't like about the King Kong format, and and there's challenges that they've worked through that I don't I don't necessarily have a better idea for. But King Kong at least was enough to get me looking at it because there's never been a year that I've looked at any King Kong event and said, oh yeah, man, I can blow that out of the water. That makes you know. sense. And yeah, and that, that was false. Yeah, and that's something that like uh I spoke to a couple guys with. Uh, I think Joe Hodgson was one that I talked to because he was basically saying, you know, um 
because it is a smaller community or some of these things, he's like, you know, we just need more people in this sport because he said, I can pretty much look at the roster. I can already tell you who's going to place what, like we already know each other's lifts and shit. So it, like you said, you'd rather just be hanging out in the pool if that's the case. But if you get that competition, that's like, Hey, there's three or four monsters there. I don't know. Like, fuck, I might end up in second or third place. Like maybe this is something to get up for. Then you have that reason or that motivation to like jump back in the game and, you know, and it just, you just need that environment, whether it's your training environment or the environment at a competition, it has to be something that's going to rise the level because yeah, like what, what are you going to do? It's uh, you know, go outlift the same people that you've already outlifted for five years or something. It's just, it kind of becomes redundant. So I, I get your point with that. But flip end, um, I'll tell you now, like I'm, I am extremely comfortable in a scenario looking at a roster and saying, okay, I know I get beat by that guy. I know I get, like that's mm-hmm. fine because it, you know, there, there's a little bit of ground to gain at times. Like, um, so I never beat Andrew Derniat face to face on a platform. I I've outscored Andrew on some of the other kinds of distance events, but if you put me and Andrew in the room, um, I've never done that. But what I have done is over the years at that time that we both were able to compete together was the first time I lifted against him compared to the last time we were within a handful of points, you know? So for me, it's like. I can look at this person when I'm training and say, okay, you know, I, hey, you know, you don't want fucking Andrew. I know this guy's going to hit a 475 axle that day. So if I can go from 415 to 425 that day, cool, because that's closing a gap. That's, it's a measurable, there's something to actually aim at on that. Um, you know, with a guy like Carl coming into sport, this idea that people have where they're like, oh, well, if Carl's going, I don't need to go. It's like, wait a minute. If Carl's going, that's exactly why you need to go because now you get to actually, now you get to quit playing games and actually say that dude does have the strongest grip. Therefore my performance stacks up accordingly to this, this person right here who's currently achieving just, you know, amazing thing after amazing thing. Um, So for the people who are like serious competitive, like for the, for you new guys, just, Fuck, I don't know. Stay in or get out. Like, that's fine. For the people play, though, you really need to be getting to those contests where you're, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to take first, but you probably also are going to actually hit numbers that you're proud of later. Like, you know, man, for us in Texas, so some of the meets we've had, we've had people come in from all over the country for it. Um, I think the last King Kong that I did host, we had like 25 or 26 competitors. So we had people in from out of state. And all those people came out and they knew that Tanner was going to be there and Tanner won the previous year and won the previous year before that. I guarantee you those guys probably had a better experience lifting in the room and understanding right, right when the first lifts popped off that, yeah, dude, that's, that's where you're going to be on a score sheet. And they actually got to see what the other people are doing that were scoring. Um, so, I mean, that'd be one thing is I know the next time that I host a meet, it would be good for a lot of people to, get their ass down to Texas and put yourself in an environment where there's no scrubs in the room. Like there's nobody here that has just gimme points. Every person there, any one error in, in any lift can, can take a first place person to uh, third or fourth really quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it is, it is that level of competitive when everybody's showing up and they're motivated to chase a contest. And that's something that, uh, they're like, me and Ben Helms have kind of uh, 
taken into account. And I would almost view Ben as like, maybe like a tanner to me, like you're talking about trying to chase these guys and close the gap on certain lifts. That, I mean, that's what I'm doing. Like, yeah, I've challenged Ben numerous times when we're doing training sessions and, and Ben lives about three hours away, but we still will meet up certain times on weekends where we're close enough and we'll train. Yep. And, and I, and I know Ben's going to kick the shit out of me on events, but I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Let's see who's going to like, let's like, we took like a one ten legacy blob and we were like, let's just go until someone can't clean it and just see who, see who wins. And we both cleaned it like 65 fucking times. Now I yeah. can tell you, I can tell you for a fact, like if I'm in my garage by myself, I don't clean that thing 65 times. So no. it's, it's, no. it's me, it's me chasing him. So it's that kind of shit that like, I totally get what you mean for the new guys. Like, yeah, you, it's okay. Not winning or it's okay. Not being the best in the room, but like I'm chasing that guy or I'm closing that gap. Like you said, and with the competition we're about to do September 9th, um, heavy hands uh ben came up with that name but we kind of wanted to it's single venue so we want everybody in the same room not yes. this multi-venue stuff so not, not, not that there's anything wrong with it i understand the need for participation or you know I, it has its place but i like same day same platform everybody in the same room is kind of my style so with heavy hands we kind of wanted to create something where it's not that it's not open for new beginners. We have plenty of new signups, plenty of people. It's going to be their first competition. So it's going to build the sport in that way. Um, ben has friends like three or four guys that have never even lifted. That's their debut. They're lifting, but they also get to lift with Ben, who's a monster. Um, as long as Jed's hand injury doesn't prevent him, I believe Jed's coming down. Um, Eric and some guys from Canada are coming down. We have guys flying in from potentially like California, Colorado, just strong ass people. So it's kind of like, that's what we wanted hey. to sort of create. Uh, what, what was that? I just missed it. Mike Kowski, did you invite him out? Um, I, I'd have to double check. Um, it would uh, rogue fucking tank, but yeah, he's, he's, he, yeah, he, for those lighter weight classes, he's, he's a, he's a monster. Um, I, I'd have to go back and look and see, cause really, um, I remember you probably remember me messaging you about it. Um, we reached out to Carl. I mean, basically anybody that me or Ben. So if I didn't reach out, then Ben probably reached out to somebody, but we reached out to most everybody that we knew that somebody in grip and at least extended the courtesy of an invite because we just wanted to, you know, Hey, I get it. If you're in California and we're in Virginia and it's however long of a flight and a thousand dollars and you're not getting much out of it. I get it, but it would be wrong. Like for us to not invite you because of who you are or your status in the sport. So um, we extended invites to everybody and we have about 25, um, 25 that's, confirmed lifters. That's a good start. Um, and, and, and there's, like I said, some, some beginners, some middle of the pack, and then you have some of the veterans that are going to be there. Um, but, but that's kind of the whole thing. And I think that's a good point for anybody that's coming to that competition. Cause I've had people that have messaged me about it and they'll say, you know, Oh, I can already tell I'm not going to win my weight class. And it's like, well, you know, what, what do you have to shoot for the next time? Like you said, okay, maybe Derniat beat you by X, Y, Z number this year. Well, fucking maybe, you know, this is going to be like an annual thing that we host. So if this is and your intro. The promotion that the real thing is, you know, plan on this, man. Okay. The first year that any promoter sets up a particular thing, they, you know, they want to make their thing plan that the first year you're going to get a couple of your buddies to come out. And then you just, there's just people who, you know, they love to travel and they have the means to do it. Often you get certain people that they come out. But if you can, if you make that commitment to helping them understand that you'll be doing it again and doing it again, yeah. 
people start taking it more seriously because you're taking it more seriously. And that's our you know, goal is it we want it to be one of the like, I mean, the same way that some people like you said, you know, you have like a nationals, you you have certain things that you, you kind of know are on that calendar. And and we're not trying to step on anybody else's toes with, you know, conflicting events or anything. But we're trying to carve a spot out that annually, you know, like, hey, this is going to be an annual competition and we want it to grow and make it as big as possible. So for the debut so far, it seems like we have a good foundation going. Um and like I said, that's September 9th. So we'll kind of see how that pans out with everybody. But next year, there will be another one, you know? So it's something that it's not going away. It's not a one-off. So um, however it goes this year, I hope to have stronger, more people, bigger numbers, whatever the next year. Um, so, but yeah, like I said, it's just a good point that, you, like I said, you bring up because you want to be in a room where you're not just surrounded by, you don't want, you don't want it to feel like a training session necessarily. Um there's a lot of competitions you go to. And if it's a little too backyardish, like you said, it, it, I don't know, maybe that takes the edge off for some people, but if you want to really perform under pressure, I think, you know, really find out what you're made of. You kind of need a bigger stage or bigger audience or bigger eyes or bigger names, at least. I, does that make sense a little bit? Well, I think especially for people who want to, if you really want to to find out how well you can compete, you need to be injecting yourself in all the all the types of venues that you can. So, because okay, a backyard contest, m- many of the funnest ones I've ever been to are a backyard contest. But the thing is, is there's there's an amount of fuckery that comes with it, and yeah. there's the looseness that comes with it that can make the day chaotic. But can you perform in this in this situation? Um, you know, expo events on the flip end of that. The problem is, is that promoter is working against a timeline because they may only have their space rented for it. The, the space may only be available to them for an hour or two at a time. So then you get into kind of a no fucking around situation. And to me as a competitor, you, you really over time, you want to, you want to inject yourself in all the scenarios. You know, can you execute in the virtual distance format? Right. Cause that has some of its own problems. Well, can you execute when you have a crowd of people watching you and there's a judge saying, no, you're going to, you're going to get on a platform. Now you're going to take your attempt. Now or you're going to forfeit your attempt. And the more scenarios that a person goes into, first of all, the more, the more diverse experience you develop, you learn more things about yourself. It will help you shape your training to understanding what are the formats that you actually want to be participating in or which are the ones you don't care for. Um, it's, it's a, it's a bad way to go. In my opinion, if somebody really wants to find out what are, what's underneath all the little nooks and crannies of the sport to, to handcuff themselves to only one kind of format or only one kind of setup. Um, it, there's, there's a lot of value to just trying out some things. And, and another thing I'll tell you though is on that idea of, of stepping on events. Okay. Being that it is a competitive sport, even, even promoters trying to promote should be competitively based. In my mind, I'd love to see more competitors staging the same event on the same day. And, and let's make it where people choose because it's going to, as a, as a promoter, it's going to have to understand that you're not doing something right. If you find that you set an event and somebody else sets an event and nobody wants to come to your thing, it allows you to now go back in and figure out what am I doing here that's not drawn in the people. Um, I really think that 
overall participation is worth more than than if the who's who showed up to the event because that can get kind of twisted around in the wrong way too if someone says that oh well you know my event's the premier event because so and so and so and so lifts in it well okay if it's that might be true but is it is it seven or eight people coming out or is it 30 i remember shit what did i do is that okay there we go you, you're used to it, yeah. a year now it would have been like three years now Okay, and man, I'm gonna I'm not gonna remember the name. So if if you know who I'm talking about, we'll just do a little edit later for him, okay? Some guy in I think Boston had had kind of got it in his mind that he just wanted to do a grip contest and he threw one together and he had like 40 fucking people come out to his first contest. Like his his score sheet had 40 people on it. Now, you know what? Somebody could tell me all the things they thought didn't go perfectly that day. I don't want to hear none of that shit. That guy somehow decided, I'm going to do this, put 40 people in the room. You tell me that he's a bad promoter. Come on now, right? The the, the aim, it's like it's like we're talking about, man. It just There's a lot of times that when we look at little situations that are coming up and how do we grow this thing or how do we stabilize it or whatever, the answer every time needs to begin with more people. More lifters, period, coming in. Um, more people just getting an opportunity to try it, see if they like it. That's one of the advantages. You know, hey, man, if we're into powerlifting, the downside is is if somebody just doesn't like to squat and doesn't like to bench and doesn't like to deadlift, we don't get them at all. Yeah. We're in a situation where we have so many events, so many scoring formats, so many ways that the contest could be run um, we could have uh, a kind of a growth, a kind of appeal that the CrossFit community was able to tap into. Those people who want to compete, but maybe they don't necessarily like doing the exact same thing all the time. Because some people, they, they want to see different. Um, I can't think of another lifting sport where there is more, you know, shit to try out with every one of them being legitimately a little bit different enough where, yeah, the numbers will be different. I mean, how many many handles are on the market right now 40 50 and realistically i was gonna say too too many but no there, there could never be too many but yeah i could listen if you put a gun on my face but what i do know is is <laughs> we could either say that that's bad because people are trying to get all locked in on one record being the one record to rule them all mm-hmm. or you could just say well cool that means that if this guy over here has got a grip chini handle he's set to go for a contest and if that guy over there has a uh a crusher, then he's ready. Like I, I would like to see for the people who are, who are the people who claim they want to see more people play the sport. We'll set it up. So more people can play and don't, don't hank, handcuff yourself to things that aren't helping you in your area. Like I know to me, one of the, one of the things I've heard from so many promoters, it came down to them looking at little things like, sanctions okay when does the sanction matter a sanction matters when you have lifters showing up that have so seriously prepared that there really is going to be some shakeups to leaderboards and weight classes and things like that i agree sanctions matter and and yes it should be money paid because at the end of the day some other person is going to take your fucking score sheet and they're going to either data input it somewhere or store it for you somewhere there's some there's some kind of work goes in there and somebody should be getting paid on that. I agree. But for brand new people, that is a dumbass obstacle to put in front of yourself. 
if you're a guy and you've got a local gym that you lift at and you'd like to get eight or nine people to come on out and just lift a few, don't get wrapped up in if it's going to be a sanctioned contest with this person or that person or, or if you have all the equipment for this or that. Like, you motherfuckers aren't going to be setting a world record, so just get out there and do the lift and have some fun and see if the people even like doing it. I'll tell you right now, there's a whole bunch of people I know that if 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 they step by my house so we go in a garage, there's always shit loaded on the floor. Never had a man come to the shop that didn't want to try to pick something up. But on the flip end, if I said, hey, here's the deal. We're going to do a contest on Saturday. I need you to be in here to weigh in no later than 10. We're going to start lifting at 11. And he says, okay, cool. When are we going to be done? It's like, I don't know, three, four. And there's people that they're just not trying to, they're not trying to do that. And that's fine. Yeah. People who want to see promotion happen more, just then promote shit and figure it out. And don't make it so complicated in the beginning that, that you create this mountain of work to do. And when all you really need to do day one is just get a contest done. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'll add to that kind of, um, I guess that's kind of developing that would be new or somewhat new here recently is uh, for uh, nationals. Typically, I feel I, I don't know how many of them there's, there have been, so to speak, but for the most part, recent years, nationals has kind of been um, for GSI. It's been Jed's type of deal and everything's up at Jed's in like Pennsylvania. And you're talking like why losing, which a lot of people this year even bitched about, you know, oh, the travel, I can't make it, or I don't want to fly in. Hey, right now, Zach, hey, the people who've been complaining the last couple of years, they need to shut the fuck up, and I'm going to tell you why. For okay. at least three or four years, Jed has been offering that if you want to nationals, we'll let you host. Yeah. I remember, am I still on? I got to call me, and I don't want to take that call. It's, uh, yeah, you're, you're still, you're still rolling. It okay. like it like flickered for a second, but you're still okay. on. They need they need to go away. There we there we go. This one away. Okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. So for at least the last three or four years, I can specifically remember that Jed had posted in multiple outlets. Does anybody want to host nationals? He has inquired to various promoters. Um, I know that I have been in email chains over the last few years. So like. I've heard that in previous years, people had a criticism. They didn't want to go out to wire loosing Pennsylvania. Okay. So Jed took that into factor. He's offered the seat for nationals a bunch of times now. And in my estimation, what's been found out is, is that some of these people have no problem criticizing Jed, but they're also not ready to just put Jed's shoes on and make the event work. Well, and, and you know, I was going to, yeah. And that's the thing with this is, um, is that done it has that happened in the last well, year well jed has put it up like you said for polling so he'll have other people that are like potential hosts and it goes to a vote and jed's venue always gets the bigger vote so like you said maybe these other people aren't promoting right maybe they're picking a shitty event list or maybe their location isn't as appealing as they think um but i will say what i was going to mention was jed has announced now that he's not doing nationals he doesn't give a shit what happens next year? He's not doing it. Someone else is hosting it and it's going to go to the same poll format, but Jed is removing himself from it because of those kind of complaints. So you know what? he's done it. He's, he's carried that flag for, I think. So Derniat did 
a couple of rounds that I remember, but Jed was heavy responsible to make that whole machine work. Andrew, Andrew and Jed worked hand in hand to make it work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a whole bunch of times that I know Jed did it and he had, he did have some sponsors help and that kind of thing. But like he was the one who at the end of the day swept the floor before the meet and vacuumed the floor after the meet. And, um, uh, to me, man, if he's decided that that next year he's out, dude, he's carried it for so long. I think the the real thing is is that whoever's complained the hardest about Nashville's location, they should be the first promoter to step up and do it. Yeah, and I guess we'll see, you know, how that voting turns out now because now Jed's basically like put the ball in their court. Like, okay, it's too far for you guys to travel. This isn't yep. an appealing location. I'm out now. Same format. You guys can all now vote amongst yourselves and he'll roll in as a competitor and I did. and they can host. That's the thing too, is there's that you hit a point when you've when you've been the only one promoting in a given area, you seriously hit a point that you're just praying that anybody else would do it just so that you can be the dickhead to stroll in ten minutes past way in time, <laughs> act like you don't know what's going on all the time. You know what I mean? Like it's I'll lift it's people. It's <laughs> nice to show up and be a normal fucking goober for the day. So like I hope I hope somebody does and I hope he does get to show up and just be trained to lift and do what he does. Yeah, that would be interesting. But yeah, that was that was worth mentioning, you know, as far as the the travel, competitions, venues and stuff. It kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about. Um a question I had for you Adam was I always reference like you and Jed being my intro into the sport because I just stumbled across these videos, it intrigued me and I just went down the rabbit hole all in. Um who was that person for you? If you could list a couple names or, or or who did you first start seeing do this grip stuff? Who, who was that person? Like if I said, man, Adam Glass and Jed Johnson inspired me to get into this grip thing. Who are those names that you would uh, throw out there back in, so, back in the time? So what I can't remember is how I found myself on ironmind.com in 1990. Eight or nine or uh, uh, nineteen ninety eight or ninety nine. It was one of those two years, and I had purchased uh, Brookfield's Mastery Hand Strength. Yeah, and I had purchased um, Dinosaur Training, mm-hmm. that blue handbook, and I was just amazed because everything I had ever seen that was written about strength training was either something more geared towards people who are training for bodybuilding or something that was more trained for football coaches. Mm-hmm. You know, I had not seen um, anything else really. So like, I remember dinosaur training was, was such a different, such a different book to read for me at that time. Um, so fantastically well delivered. Just, I think it's one of those books that it's not about if you agree with every word on every page. It's it's you should read that and and take in what's being presented there because there's a lot of value. And then Brookfield's I remember the thing that struck me the most about John Brookfield's training was I was so used to books where like every photograph was taken in a gold's gym that was in California. Mm-hmm. See this idea that this guy's like out on his farm carrying around rocks and logs and shit. That was just so different for me. Mm-hmm. Um, from there I had found, who did I find first? It probably was diesel crew. It probably was Jed and James, uh, Jed Johnson and James Smith when they used to run okay. diesel crew, diesel crew. So you go back to like 2005, six, mm-hmm. they were running 
basically kind of more like a blog in some ways. Like every day they were posting new content. Um, they were they were smart because they were some of the first ones in the game. Like um, kind of like YouTube they, before YouTube. Yeah, for real though, you know, and like they were some of the first guys that were trying to really figure out, like, okay, so hey, we've got we've got these kettlebells and we've got these blobs and we've got these rubber bands. And we just feel like people could be doing more shit with them and they're not. So for me, it was just such a fun website to look into because they were always doing something that you had not seen somebody else do. Like, and especially that was when Jed was still doing, well, he was, he was still preparing as if he was going to do some more strongman contests. He had did a few in that time period and he had success. So Jed's training then was particularly interesting to watch because he's chasing the heavy events, overhead pressing and flipping tires and rock, rocks and all that. Mm-hmm. And he's he's really trying to figure out some of the grip stuff because you, you got to try to imagine this isn't a window of time that you you don't just go look somewhere and see 75 people doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he was one of the first people I ever saw that was like seriously training pinch lifts. Like every day, this guy's trying to pinch these plates. And at the, especially at that time, there was just nobody that you would see routinely doing anything like that. Um, Dennis Rogers was another one. I remember I was in Iraq. It was in 2005. And I, th- I think I got this from Bud Jeffrey's email list. I'm betting I was on Bud's list first, and then I found Dennis that way. But he had sent out a video that Dennis had released this new DVD, and he had like a little 30-second intro. And it's this little bald guy, and he bends a 10-inch wrench. And I'm watching yeah. this, and I'm okay, so... I mean, this is, you know, hey, I've seen dinosaurs on TV, so I know that anything's possible on film, right? So, look, this is either, a, you know, he's either an illusionist, you know, and it's a rubber, or it's real. And that means there's something I really don't know about. So I started to reach out to Dennis. And then the the turning point for me to really want to get into the sporting aspect of it, so you know, that influence had me doing things, but I remember it was a specific conversation one day and it was Steve Gardner from the UK. And he used to be quite the troll back in the day online, man, you know, and he, he basically made this comment that, you know, for all you guys that are out there and you're, you know, bending nails and twists and horseshoes and shit, he's like, look, we can do that too, but you guys can't lift shit. And I took that personally, like, wait a minute now. I never said I'm not strong. I've just been doing this. So uh, I did, I I was scheduled in for my very first, what I would say like a legit grip contest was in 2010. We had, we had the, in a couple of the military bases, we had some things where there'd be like a strongman contest and they would have something kind of grip related, like a farmer's walk event. And I always did fair in those, but I never considered that that would be a primary thing I would chase. Um, so when I got out of the military, I moved to Minneapolis, David Hornet contact me. He tells me, we're going to do this new thing. We're going to have a contest where everyone in the world is going to lift on the same equipment and I'm going to send it to them so that we know it's the same. Yeah. Do you want to do it? And I'm thinking, well, I just opened this new gym. 
And uh, if I'm going to eat this month, I need to get people in this room anyway. So that sounds fair to me. So uh, I hosted the first leg of Strongest Hands. I hosted two or three more events in 2010 right in Minneapolis. So by that point, some of the guys in the community are, are becoming aware of me. Um, but also at that point, it had all been basically via distance or maybe a YouTube clip, right? So the first travel contest for me popped up in January 2011. So Eric Milfield and Paul Knight had been hosting an annual event right in Fort Worth uh, at the Metroflex at the Castle. It's the biggest gym and it's probably the biggest gym in America. It might be one of the biggest gyms in the world. The Castle is like three Walmarts in size. Fucking crazy. So I'm like, I'm going to do that, man. I'm going to fly down to Texas and lift with these guys. So for me, this is the first time that I've ever come into a room with these people and proven that I'm not just running like an excellent special effects studio. So yeah. we had 34, 35 competitors. I took third overall, um, which to me was was like really good because it was Paul at first. And then um, Ross Love took second. Ross, Ross only dabbled in a sport for a little bit, but he was, man, he was a big-ass strongman competitor, big-ass Texas dude. The first time he ever showed up at a contest to do – um, Axel, he lifted 400. Like it was like literally the first time he'd ever touched an Ironman Axel. You know what I mean? That was, that was a really good contest result to see because it was very rare to see 400 pound Axel lifts at that time period. Um, after that contest, I had a couple in Minnesota and I had some traction because people were coming out in 2011. I went to nationals. Um, I took second place in nationals right behind Andrew. So at that point, people were probably taking it maybe a little bit more seriously. Did strongest hands that year. I had, I was either fourth or fifth that year. I'd have to look, but I did, I did really well for strongest hands that year. They had a little bit better events in my opinion. Um, that, that fucking wrist developer they had, that was my jam, man. For, okay, for my, that's like where you're like almost like yeah, reverse bending. Yeah. yeah. Reverse bending is, is a very strong style for me. So that was, that was cool. I was not so bad on a Euro pinch. And having the um, multiple legs for scoring worked for me because I always learned something coming out of the contest. So we had strongest hands. Did I go anywhere else in 2011? I didn't go anywhere else. Then we had a couple more big events in Minneapolis. And at that point, I was getting good pull when I would announce a contest. Um, like I had a lot of people from all of the country were sent travel out to events. 2012 going into that year. Um, contest at my place, did the San Jose Expo. That one was not set up like a contest. It was set up like a record breaker. So like mm -hmm. that was the year that I'd set the, the little big horn record. Um, uh, that was, that event was different because that was the first time of me getting to lift with the West side crew, West coast crew of Ode and all yeah. his guys. So that was kind of cool. Um, did nationals again, took second place that year behind Andrew again. Um, and now that, that's where the, it was funny though, because the gap from 2011 and me and Andrew to 2012 was just, it was just closer. I felt like I was on track because like making some moves. Um, did I go anywhere else that year? I feel like there's something that I'm not remembering. And then we get, we get to the end of summer and Richard Soren calls my phone. And it was one of the like, time when we first called, he was like, Hey, Adam, it's Richard Soren. I was like, sure it is. Who is this? Because I'm yeah. thinking, that's what, you know what I mean? He's like, it's me. So Richard says, hey, 
I want to know if you can do something for me. Will you shoot a video lifting an inch dumbbell perfectly level? Yeah. And sure. I was going to say, I remember uh, reaching out to you about this because um, you have like an old video um, and, and I might link it at some point or push it out somewhere, but uh, it's where like uh, something like, oh, I'd be impressed if he could do that level because the lifts were kind of tilted. And then it's just yep. like this montage of you just like smashing level lifts, double inch lifts and just basically proving it. Is that around that same time or is that the same thing? That was, okay. that was the, the whole reason the can lift came up was so, and I'm, I'm a lot younger back then. Right. So part of it is a, is a, you know, a fucking 29 year old me being like, I'm not some fucking internet lifter. I'm legit. This is real. This is, I'll weigh the bell for you. I'll put a fucking can on it. You've never seen anybody do this. Bam. Did, now, Adam, I was going to say, did, uh, for for the can lift, I, I, it's it's hard to say who was ever first. Are you the first person to put a can on a bell? Was that something that you came up with, or had you seen that done before? No one can show you a video of a of a date earlier than my lifts of it being done. I had okay. never heard of doing it, and I remember so Al Myers, who was the secretary for the USAWA, the All Round Weightlifting Group, yep. he drove up to Minnesota for a record breaker that we threw through the organization. And part of it is, is he just wanted to see if I was full of shit or not. So when Al got in the room, I threw the dumbbell hand-to-hand for him. I picked up two and walked across the room. I lift up a can, and there's actually a write-up you can read from him. So if you were to search, like, Adam Glass, an inch dumbbell by Al Myers, you'll see his write-up. And he was astonished because you go to you go to that time period, the only people he had ever seen really lift an inch like that was guys like Chad Woodall, mm-hmm. Jed, Andrew, he had not seen a guy that was as little as me compared to them do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did that video. The thing is, in my mind was like, um, I really respect everything Richard's ever done. And I love the equipment they do. And, you know, maybe one day this would pan out to someone. So it's like, absolutely, I'll do that for you. So I, I put up a video for him. And then he said, okay, well, hey, will you come to Columbus and lift at Mighty Mets? And I, I was, and, and that's, that's kind of going where we're tied back to then like, okay, in my mind right off the bat, it's like, this is an agreement to do a 20 hour drive to cover all my cost to go be the smallest, weakest guy on the stage. Right. But mm-hmm. what happened is if you look at the way they scored the event, I'm tied for fifth out of 12 on that event. So despite being both of those things was yeah. not the guy that day. So that, that for me was just. What an experience for that. Um, I think we had a strongest hands again that year. There's still somewhere else that we fucking went that I can't remember. Um, and then when I hit, when I hit 2013, I was preparing to move. So I knew that I would be exiting Minnesota that year. Uh, I had exited the, uh, gym side of, of ownership and operation. I had a different job going. I did, I only did one or two contests in 2013 after mighty Mets. with the was big that, thing was that moved from many uh, was that minneapolis like to texas is that when you yep. okay That's, so i did that right the start of 2014 okay but i remember coming out of the arnold was almost kind of a i just felt like i felt like there was nothing i was going to really do that year that was going to feel as relevant and, and I had a little bit of a training shift that year. So that was, and that's funny because that was the same year that I ever saw a Cirque du Soleil show. 
And, and the thing was, was at that time I'm young enough and my body weight training was already on track enough that I saw that shit. And I'm like, I can fucking do that. So for me, there was a whole time period when I first moved to Texas, the plan was come down here, see if this helps with my migraine situation. If I get an improvement, evaluate looking at like Nitro Circus in Dallas, or even look at just moving my ass out to Las Vegas. Because if I get in, into their training program, I would be fit to do shows within three years. So I had a heavy multi-year period of time that that was the whole thing I was trained up to do is I wanted to be a circus performer. You know what I mean? I wanted to do, okay. I wanted to shit um so i had that whole period of time but during that period of time with my own grip training there were still three things that i consistently did so in the entire time period that i was not lifting weights and just doing body weight i still trained um my pinch grip using my pinch grip bar for both pull-ups and back levers and muscle ups and then i do deadlifts off the floor uh, I, I used to like to take those wide rogue bumper plates and just flip them and catch them, especially because the gym I was training at the most, they were right there over by the uh, athletic arena that I would play around in so much. And um, I do plate curls still. So I had this whole period of time that I really didn't do all that much of anything. And then finally, when all these guys here in the Texas area realized I was in Texas and they started to reach out as we got going again, and uh, that that was a whole different kind of season. Like for me, the the years of 2019 and 2020 before everything just shut down, we had a lot of really fun contests. Like 2019 for me was a super fun contest year. We did we did so many events, traveled. In um, that one year, we did probably 10, 10 or eleven events here locally with guys coming all the time. We went to Arizona, the Finland trip the Arnold, the Olympia. Um, for me, that was just like such a great year of training. And I was expecting, you know, probably we all were up until COVID that 2020 was going to be even more ridiculous. Like yeah. before, before COVID kicked off, um, my wife was even comfortable with us going over to Europe for a while. And I was going to plan to do like hit a UK contest, then hop over to Germany and do a contest of those guys. And I wanted to hop over like to Russia and, you know, I mean, everything got fucked up, but, at the time it was making sense of the momentum of everything. And, and that to me is why I'd want somebody to like, if they like to compete, man, to really, instead of, instead of telling yourself that you're going to dabble is like, just go all the way in. Like, yeah, go, go do as many contests as you can in a year and see if you like doing it. And that way you don't waste any time. Cause if you find it'd be a shame to train for five years to do your first contest, do your first contest and not like it at all. Cause yeah. now you and really, up like so to me go do the contest first figure out if you like it and then do the training to go with it and and that kind of makes sense i mean i, I started doing a little bit of training like on my own just like you know hey i'm seeing guys do this shit i'm gonna buy a couple handles i'm gonna try some stuff or hey i want to lift that dumbbell um but that's really what i've done because i've only actually been keep, uh, competing about two years yes. but the amount of competitions i mean i've done both the Arnold's um, I did the first two super series on that side. I've went to nationals both years. Um, if I really break down what I've done, I mean, I just dove head first. Like the second that um, I messaged Jed and was like, Hey, there's no contests around. Like what's up? Like wh where can I do it? He's like, where are you at? And I'm like, North Carolina. He's like, I think there's one by you coming up. And I'm like, yep. Well, okay. I don't know where to, you know, where, and it was James Redaritas was running it after an arm wrestling competition. He had a grip thing. He was running 
after this arm wrestling thing. So that was my first competition in like the middle of 2021. And then it was like 2021, I competed at James competition. And then it was like stage one, stage two, super series. Okay. I'm going to Arnold, whatever, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I just tried doing as many competitions as I possibly could. Um, yeah, by the different, way, different formats. So James is the OG promoter. I had dudes from James's crew coming out to shit that I was doing in Minnesota as early as 2011. Like James has been in, James has been in on the bottom floor for grip sport yeah. pretty much almost since the beginning because they had a really good region going. Like they had a crew going for fucking ever. Like for as long as I can remember, they've had a lifting crew in that neck of the woods. And then obviously with his, with, with the other addition of all the guys he is coming through for arm wrestling, because he's really well known across North America for arm wrestling. Like he would be a great dude for you to get on the show as a side note. No, um, I've already spoke with James. Um, James is about two hours down the road from me. Yep. So, I mean, I've, I've popped out there on Sundays with his crew and we we've lifted, like I said. So, I mean, once I met him at that first grip competition, I bounced out there a few times. I've done a couple more competitions with them. Um, me and James have, uh, you know, stayed in touch. I don't talk to him all the time, but J- James is fairly regular um, as far as uh, somebody I would talk to or reach out and joke with every now and then. Um, but yeah, James, James will be on the show. Um, it's funny because this is the second show in a row he's been mentioned. Um, Luke Raymond mentioned him because Luke said when he was first taking his dive into arm wrestling, he's like, I just like, was going to my first competition and he's like, I read strong arm tactics and I just so happened to be going down to like a wedding or something. And I got some tips from James Redaritis and he was giving me the rundown and Luke like went and said he was like smashing people early in competition, but it was all off of basically just reading James book and like one or two times talking with James or something. But consider this man, there, there's a lot to be said when you have an arena of something and there's no written body of knowledge. And in that way, I'm almost a hundred percent certain that James is the first person who did an actual book mm-hmm. that was not like just, okay, these are weightlifting things to do for arm wrestling, but this is how you actually arm wrestle. I've never seen anything that was created before when he did that, that actually would like, not not just understanding that, okay, hey, you need to do fucking wrist curls or something, but understanding what that human being is going to try to do to you mm-hmm. and how you deal with that. You know, like, um, so in that way, it's funny because he literally is the guy who wrote the book about the thing that yeah. I don't, I can't think of any book that was prepared beforehand that was relevant. The only thing you ever see, if you look back before that timeline is they'll just mention that so-and-so you know, it, it's funny. Cause it's probably the most, it's probably one of the greatest lies amongst all your strong men, performers of history is they'll say things like so-and-so had never been being in arm wrestling. Well, that ain't true. There, there's no, the only person who's never been beaten in arm wrestling is someone who's never arm wrestled. Yeah. Do you understand? Like it is, there is no, it, yeah. who has never been beaten. So um, James probably is the first person. So for, for any people, for anybody who wants to check that book out, I think it's on, I think he's got on either Kindle or Amazon. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's like strong arm tactics, yep. but, but, but Luke mentioned that because Luke was basically like, I just was going to try this arm wrestling thing on a whim. I just basically went in with the mindset that I didn't want to break my arm. I read this book, 
talk to this James dude. And next thing you know, I'm at this competition and I'm beating guys that have been doing it for 10 or 15 years. And it's like, Hey, maybe I'm good at this. Um, so that was kind of his, uh, his take on it. Um, but yeah, no, James, James is a good guy. James, James will definitely be an episode and it'll be interesting because he has a good sense of humor and, uh, yeah, he's, he, he, he's a good dude. Um, just to dive in a little bit, I kind of have another, I have some bullet points I want to kind of just knock out and get, get you going on, um, is, uh, you've been, like you said, these guys are thinking maybe this is a trick when you're doing this stuff. People back then, it's like, we didn't, didn't have as much access to social media. So it's like, well, who's this fake guy lifting bells or, or I, I got to see it to believe it. Um, nowadays it's pretty much been confirmed. Nobody doubts what you've done. Um, out of all the feats you've done, what would you say is probably your personal favorite or maybe the most impressive feat you've done? Do you, or maybe it's a couple that you can't decide between. Do you have any, uh, any idea The the real feat is the ability to remove excitement and fear and to enter into the thing flat. So lifts, I do look fake because I don't display effort. I don't get hyped. I don't mm-hmm. get angry. I don't do any of those things The the development of I, I took the same approach I did for learning to gunfight as I did learning to wrestle as I did jujitsu, then to weightlifting, then to other things. And it's that the best people in the world are the best at something most of the time because they can do something so casually that you cannot even imagine them failing the task. You're going, you're, you're going into it with the Fedor mindset. Thing, like, you're familiar with how like how like plain faced or stone cold Fedor is at at that time. That's something he's known for. Whereas you have some fighters that are hyped up or they're running around. Fedor's like super chill. So that's kind of the equivalent of like you doing your lifts or something. It's just like there's there's really no emotion, but it's about to be world class. The, the, if, that's if a good you comparison. Guys who have actually been at a contest with me, especially when we're on platforms and I'm having to run shit, they will tell you I look a combination of distance, disinterested, bored, and perhaps sleepy. Mm-hmm. But that's all part of the deal. That's yeah. that where the the greatest control is when you have the most control over emotional levels and thought processes. And the idea that getting angry makes you do better tests that with everything else in life. And okay, here's here's an, here's the thing: try to assemble something that's delicate, but get pissed off as you do it. It'll go great. Deal with a deal with a child or woman who's upset, and you get more upset trying to navigate it. That'll go great. Go go to a jujitsu gym and just plan to get really mad at the guy and see how well you do. <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I've had plenty. Of, uh, well, like I said, being in kind of like the fight scene for thirteen, fourteen years. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen that one played out a hundred. You, you know, and sometimes. <laughs> you know, I get. Everybody always talked about how Mike Tyson was so ferocious, right? Well, that was Mike Tyson, and motherfucker, you ain't Mike Tyson. So for me, <laughs> in a lot of ways, I feel like the 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 greatest thing has been the ability to go into situations where I was able to control one thing that day. I was able to control myself. Mm-hmm. I, I was not in control of how things were judged. I was not necessarily in control of what other competitors did. And maybe if I had a, a bad event or not, what I was in control of was how I regulated. And the way that I've done that in competition is because that is how I do it in every single training session. So to me, 
I think that's what probably has challenged people the most is that it's the ability to do something, but to do it in a way that it does look fake. Like I'll tell you now, if, if I log on to YouTube and I open up where the, you know, you get to a little where people load their fucking comments. I got that shit turned off. They can comment. I just don't see it. I don't care. Yeah. And it's, I bet every play curl video you'll see me loaded has always someone that'll say something like, well, that's not real. Cause look at how he's doing it. That's the oh, point. Man. It, and it's, I had the, dude, the, I had the same thing. Um, with uh, Chaz Strange, he would joke with me. We had this joke where, like, whenever I would lift, like, the inch dumbbell or lift something, I don't have big hands. I have, like, seven and three-quarter hands. They're not giant. There's a fucking gap when I lift the inch dumbbell. Like, I'm not wrapping around and shit. So, like, uh, Chaz would fuck with me, and he'd be like, oh, you know, question mark, like, you using hook grip, hook grip. So, just like this joke. So, I said one time, I said, man, I said, this next session, just to fuck with him back, I said, I'm going to film it with my left hand and I'm going to show that I'm not hook gripping it, like just being a smart ass, but like first person view. So I'm holding my phone up, filming the bell and I lift it. And then this shit gets like on the shorts bullshit on YouTube. It gets like 40,000 views, but because I pulled it up to height and then just dropped it, the bell bounces. It's on a fucking stall mat. Um, like, oh, rubber bell yeah rubber bell i got 90 comments i'm fake all my fucking weights are fake and i'm just like and it got to a point where i was like if you want to sum up the internet this is how i sum up the internet you have people that have no idea what the inch dumbbell is never seen one in person they can't lift it they travel to a guy's page that knows what one is who can lift it and they scream at him and tell him his shit's fake like oh, that pretty much sums up how much relevancy comments have. So it's like, I, I understand totally the battle of YouTube with uh, your plate curls. I'm I'm sure it's the same fucking thing. So no, very, very funny, but yeah, people, yeah, the plates are fake. The bells are fake. And it's like, where do you think, where do you think we buy all these fake weights from that look just I, like the same question is, okay, dude, if that is even possible, where would one get so many of them? Yeah, I'll yeah. <laughs> I have kind of an answer for you though. So, okay. okay. Um, when the first time that I successfully stuck a back lever on my pinch grip bar, that felt significant to me because of, of height and weight. And that's where you're, you're hanging from two pinch blocks and you're just doing like a front lever, correct? No, where or, you, you turn you're your flipping all the way. Down. Okay. Cause you, you, you I've seen where you like bring your feet all the way back through and you hang like, almost upside down. Is yep. that what so you're referring I, to? I, I got to the point where I was strong enough to stick my legs out backwards. Okay. And face, I'm belly buttoned down. My body's completely horizontal, holding a pinch grip, but you're holding like behind this. You. you know yeah. what I'm saying? I, 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 I've seen those videos. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. That's a lot of time. Um, that felt pretty significant. And, and then especially cause it's, it's not one of those that I felt like no one will ever do this. I just was not expecting that we would see anybody of a similar size do it. And so far we've, we've not seen that. Maybe someone will do it. That'll be awesome. Um, getting my first couple pinch grip muscle ups felt significant. And especially cause it's, it's actually super hard on your thumb and it's not, it's not the pinch aspect that was so hard as much as when you turn over and get on top of the bar, all the weight, is right on top of that yeah, knuckle. It's, it's it's like coming up. It's pre- you're probably yeah. all your body weight's pressing up into the joint. So yeah, I, I'm thinking this is one of those things that it's either really smart or really dumb. Like I'm either setting myself up for like a persistent pain problem, or this is going to take my pinch 
to a whole new point. Um, it felt very significant when the first time that I got um, a 300 pound pinch on a Saxon bar. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that dealt with, I just remember the first time I ever touched a Saxon bar, I remember thinking this is like the most awkward damn lift ever. You know, it later became a lift that I totally loved doing, but that felt, that felt pretty good. And then probably in the last couple of years of all the different lifts. So strictly double lifting the two hundreds. I was about to say that because that that's one of my all time favorite feats that you've done. And I, I mentioned it when I spoke to Tim Butler, we had a little discussion where we were breaking down different feats um, of other people. Hey, you know, what are some of your favorite feats in general? And I said, man, it is hard to look past um, Adam's 200 uh, pound bell double inch lift because I said, you know, I, I know for a fact his body weight was probably 205 to 215 at the time. I mean, and you think about guys chasing a, a body weight Bible. bell lift. Yeah. Uh, the big guys chase like a body weight bell lift or that's impressive. I'm like, he did two of them. Like uh, the guys in the community get it. You know, the people that know, know. But that was one that like, stuck out to me and has been a favorite of mine. So that, yeah, I was going to ask you if you didn't name it, I was going to bring it up. It's funny, man, because one second before I tore my finger off, I had a double body weight inch lift going and it was perfect until the set down. <laughs> yeah. it was a, but that was, that was 440 weighing under 220. Um, it was just absolutely a terrible equipment setup. Um, the, I have had a couple of times that I did a lot of rep lifting in one session. Like the big and, marathon stuff, right? Where you, yeah. I mean, you'd lift like an hour straight or something. And I was going to, I was going to bring I was going to bring up some of that at some point too, because I was going to ask you like, what's the longest inch bell session or most reps you've done? Or what are some of those? Because I, oh, I've seen some of those videos. I would run the clock just because if I don't, it gets to be, I would probably end up hurting myself. Meaning like I think my capacity to keep lifting would put me in the hole for two weeks for recovery wise. So uh, Tanner had let me borrow his inch for a stretch of time. So this would have been in 2019 right before we moved. And I did 206 lifts in 59 minutes. Okay. <laughs> every lift coming up to the crotch. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? None of them were like mid shin lifts, like those yeah. 200 lifts. Uh, I felt that that was pretty good. And it's especially because the first time I ever did a hundred consecutively, I felt like, like, wow, man, that, that was so hard. And then to do double that so easily, it, that, that felt, that felt pretty good to do. Um, reverse bending the FBBC hex bastard, the five sixteenths cold rolled. That was probably one of my best bends I've ever done. Um, and at the time there was only two other guys that had done hex faster that way. Uh, they were super, super tough bars. It, it felt like it was one of those, when I had that bend done all the way, my interest in bending that kind of heavy was kind of gone actually. Like, okay, I've done this. I totally get there are harder bars to keep going to. I don't want to have to pay the price though. Cause I know some of the guys that have done some of the tougher stuff and they all have some really persistent problems that just are hard to go away. Um, I think, I think a lot of those feel like there was a lot of stuff that did body weight wise that were probably more personally satisfying just because for me, it was outside of anything I'd done growing up. 
Like the, the first time I got like 15 consecutive bar muscle ups that Mm -hmm. felt, that felt good. Like that was cool. That's not something I ever thought I'd be doing. I think probably the first time that I ever got like eight or nine freestanding handstand pushups in a row that felt like this huge breakthrough for me. Um, especially because getting into handstand pushups is one of the toughest things. And it is because let's get this right. All right. That's as much as my wrist extends these days. And the left one is, is even worse. Yeah. So like when I do handstands, I need like a 30 minute warm up to get where they'll actually even get warmed up and loose enough to go flat on the ground. So the first year of doing handstands was just, it was just so much slow. Pre- like if I would have instead said, okay, I'm going to military press 315. I guarantee you I would have military pressed 315 pounds two years before I got my first real handstand push-up because the wrist mobility was just such a limiting factor. And and the other thing is, is so that that whole thing going on there, that's not that's not just a training deficit of like, oh, he doesn't have enough extension. All of my joints feel tough like that. Like everyone who's ever got a chance to roll for me in jujitsu they'll tell you like my joints are really strong man nothing nothing is easy to pull apart on me even even people neck crank me i'll give up way before it starts to hurt because i already know like they're gonna have to really crank that fucking thing to make this a problem for me and it won't turn for them unless i let it so that's been part of the reason why grip has been a natural set for me is i just have naturally i have really good tendons and ligaments I was going to say, yeah, your tendons and ligaments, and, and that kind of goes to like doing stuff like uh, the thumbless work you've done, because some of your thumbless work is some of the best, like the double inch thumbless lifts and stuff like that. So, and even going up into heavier bells. I've never seen anybody do a 200 thumbless. I bet Carl could do it if he could get his big ass hand in between the bells. But that's, that's another thing is I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm the first and I'm not saying I'm the only one. I'm saying I'm the only person who can provide video of a thumbless lift on a 200 pound bell where, you know, the way to the bell and you know, the way to the guy. Yeah. Um, and that to me, that, that really felt significant because that's also like what 95% of my body weight for thumbless grip. That's not too bad. A four forty axle thumbless was another big one. I lifted it on horns rules where they're calling it up to a 20 inch lift. Yeah. Uh, I, kicking around doing a record breaker for them. So I, I tested that out because it was, man, it just gets into different styles. It's not about which is the right and wrong lift. The way they judge the lift is that you basically can rip it off the floor and hit the standard and almost fucking drop it. Yeah. We, I do it a little bit differently, but under their rules, like for me, double body weight thumbless was not that hard to do. Yeah. Um, now that's covering a lot of your feats as a guy that's just paved the way or been there since the beginning of a lot of this stuff or early on, at least um, what are, what are some feats of others that really inspired you? Oh, like, so like, like, like just, I mean, and this could be like ones that are maybe well-known or this could be like behind the scenes shit that like, uh, I don't know. I think you told me some stuff and this is going from personal conversation or messaging, like, like Mike Burke, just like doing something insane, like job wise, or something like just holding up something with one hand, right. you know, like you, you get what I'm saying? Like that was fun to know. So, okay. So Mike Burke only actively participated in grip. 
a handful of times. And I think a lot of it just had to do with he's buddies of Ode and Ode's mm-hmm. like, you're, you're fucking world-class. You don't even know it. So the story that I was told is that Mike is a drywall installer mm-hmm. and not a little man. Um, I don't know if he's <laughs> six five. I mean, he's a big fucking guy, but I was told Mike can take a five eighths piece of drywall four by eight and grab it like this and lift it straight up and pin it into the wall and use his free hand to drill all the screws. If you watch drywall crews install drywall, that is not how anyone else in the world installs drywall. And this yeah. is apparently how he does it. So like Mike can, from what I've been told, I've not gotten to witness this, but I've been told that Mike could work an eight hour day and saw on drywall. And he's just one hand lifting pieces and using his other hand to drill all day. That to me is absolutely mind boggling. And then once again, though, who am I talking about? I'm talking about the guy who nearly stuck a double inch clean. Yeah. And, that and, and was, I was going to mention that in front of a hundred thousand people, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like it was in somebody's garage and no one ever measured the bells. No, it was, they were Ode's inches and he nearly had it, man. Yeah, I mean, very I, close. no one else has even come 50% as close as what he did that day. Yeah. Okay. So some of my favorite things that I've seen, I'm going to start with, I'll start, I'll try to go kind of chronological just because it'll help me stay a little organized. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Matt Rouse. Rouse, um, anybody who's who's been in the grip board community probably knows Matt. Matt was uh he was at University of Michigan, then he moved, I think he moved back home for him to Burnsville, Minnesota. So when I opened up my gym, he started driving up. And Matt was one of my uh longer time training partners. We probably lived together for maybe two or three years consecutively, you know, uh with with consistency, like weekly. Mm-hmm. So Matt Browse would do shit like stop at the gas station on the way to the gym. He'd pick us up a large pizza. We would eat a large pizza and then Matt would go do 405 axle cleans for 30 minutes and then do Steinborn squats for the next 30 minutes. And I'm like chilling in a fucking corner because we just ate a large pizza. It used to trip me out. He, you know what I mean? Like just just to, just to see a guy that size who could move as well as the way he did, it was it was really incredible. Like he he had a very, very explosive clean, but he didn't drop that much for it. So we're talking his just high pull strength high was ridiculous. Yeah. Um so Matt was one of the first people I saw that was really balanced when we do gripper events. He hated grippers, he didn't even train them, but he would do shit like walk out and close like so here's nothing. So Matt Cannon lived in Minnesota up in Brooklyn Park, about 15 minutes north. So all my grippers that I ever had were raided by Matt personally. So, I mean, that's thing. Browse would come out and do shit like grab a 160-pound rated gripper and just slam it either hand and then go back in the corner and eat a fucking hot dog. Like it was just – just. <laughs> There's just something about it. Like some of the people I know that, man, when they would get ready to lift, they have this whole pregame routine of all this shit they can't do and have to do. And you can't interrupt them. You can't fuck with them or it throws them off. And Matt was just someone I loved lifting with because he just didn't give a shit. And he was actually really good at everything. That's funny. And, and yeah. like me where it's it's very much a – it's always minimal effort. It doesn't mean you don't do hard things. It means just don't do the hard things and make it harder than it needs to be. Um, Matt could push press my uh, 
my 213-pound green bell overhead pretty much whenever he wanted to. Um, I've never seen anybody else do that, and I've had some very fucking strong guys come over, and I've never had any of them actually do that yet. Like, that was that was yeah. crazy. Um, let's see. Tanner. I could do, oh, go on all fucking day about Tanner. Okay, so I have he's basically of- he's basically done like a one-handed pull-up on every handle and – I know you have like a pair of hundred pound plates that like him and maybe one other person have pinched. Chad was the only one. So I'll start, I'll start that. Chris Roy sold me these hundred pound plates. They're badass. They're about, I I'm guessing they're probably a total of six inches longer diameter, Mm -hmm. which I like that for a lot of reasons, because you might assume that being a little bit taller makes it easier, but it's actually kind of a different groove for deadlifting. So it feels weirder on a start. Um, But I like them for a lot of reasons. So in 2012 at U.S. Nationals, and this is, you can find videos of this on YouTube of, of me and Jed and Andrew going through the medley. The hundreds were in the medley as a two-hand pinch lift sandwich. Mm-hmm. And on that weekend, it was pretty easy to say that the three best pinch lifters in North America were there that day. And, like, I think at that contest I had done, I had done a 254 pinch for the 105 record. Jed did like a 256 pinch, which was the world record at the time. Andrew did an easy like 232, 234 pinch. So all of us on a Euro were pinching, you know, well over 200 pounds. None of us could break those fucking things off the floor. Yeah. I had had people even go so, well, but you know, you guys did the medley at the end of the contest. No, 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 no. I've never pinched them off the floor ever. I've never done it. I've picked up 315 on a two by uh, five Saxon. I've picked up 305 on a 2.5 by five Saxon. I've done 375 pounds on a two by four Saxon. I have never pinched those plates ever. So one day we're over and Tanner's looking at him. Said, you think you could pitch those? Cause he's really good at a straight vertical pinch. Fucking mm-hmm. picked him first try. And I've seen him six every time he's ever tried to do it. Uh, Tanner has done a one-handed pinch pull-up on my apparatus. He's done a one-handed pinch pull-up on a gold potato. And that was with the gold potato guys in a gym. They, Frank came to the gym that day and I I told him, I said, Tanner, do the thing, do the thing for the guys. Cause you know, this, it's their handle. Show them what can be done. If it Tanner does a, um, he almost can get, he's a little heavy now, but when he was like under 200, he could almost get a one-handed pull-up with like a, a freestyle grip on a hub. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. Well, yeah, uh, he, he transferred your 200-pound bell? He was – he so he lifted the 200-pound bell the day that I got it. Like it, I had it unloaded that day. I'd called him that day. Like, hey, are you off work? He said, I am. I said, come on over, which is like an hour drive, and he just did. <laughs> and I'm like, check this out. So he picks up the 200 he did a 200 hand-to-hand transfer probably three or four weeks after that. And that's him getting to work with the bell. That was just three or four weeks later when he came over, he did that. Yeah. Um, he was able to get my green bell single-hand lift within probably two months of trying it. Is that the only person uh, to lift that? Your that, that green bell? Only one. And a lot of really fucking strong guys have tried, man. Yeah. The day that Isaac got all of our Millennium Bells in, 
So I got a millennial belt. Jed got one. Tanner got one. Isaac got one. They all came in on the same freight. Um, Tanner got home with his belt two days later, sends me the video of him lifting it. Yeah. So that, and I weighed his belt on my scale. His belt is 229 pounds. He picked it up basically within a day having it. Like Tanner's grip strength is absolutely fucking marvelous. Well, I know you just had some uh, recent injuries and some other stuff here. I mean, in, in recent times, but uh, just the other day, he uploaded a couple things of him slamming some grippers and they were like 180s, 190s, and it was like casual. Yeah. It's, so, it's, so, I mean, he's he's had, strong, man. He had a persistent left hand pinky injury. And the reason he got that, well, not the reason, the way it happened was we were we were out at my pool. We were sitting on the patio. He had a box of some grippers. We're sitting around eating and he grabs a 3.5 and he goes, you think I could close this left-handed? And before I could say, don't do that because we've been chilling for the last hour, left-handed close, no problem. But right when he opened, he had something, I don't know, something, something did something bad. Mm-hmm. And that was persistent. But like, dude, who the fuck can do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. 200 pound guy closing a 3.5 left hand like that. He's just, he's crazy. Um, Tanner, I've seen, we went to Aaron Corcoran's house after the contest. Aaron invited me, Eric and Tanner back to come over and hang out for a while. And we get there and Tanner busts open this bottle of scotch and just starts drinking. And over the next four hours, the, the three of us got tired pretty quick. We were sitting in lawn chairs watching him keep going. I bet Tanner lifted every fucking weight in Aaron's garage. Aaron had a blob that he called the impossible blob. And that's because no one had ever lifted it. Like Jed has not lifted this bell. And to me, Jed's the best blob lifter there is. Tanner goes out, looks at the bell, grabs a piece of chalk, chalks up, fucking hammered, hammered drunk, picks up and holds it, laughing his ass off. Like he's just, he's just absolutely phenomenal. All his lifts are phenomenal. Um, I feel like Tanner is on the opposite end of connective tissue strength as to me. He seems to have a laxity in his joints. So Tanner does really good when he can be explosive. If you watch his lifts, if Tanner can create slack and rip, he's super fucking strong. There's kind of like a load up, so to speak, kind of like he, a running start. On, on climbing, it's funny because Tanner does better on tricks that other people suck at that require explosiveness. And where I've seen Tanner have more issues is when it requires your tissue to be compressed and grind. So like overall, you know, Tanner's done phenomenal on grippers. He's certified on a three, five. I've seen him close a four before, but grippers are probably terrible for him. Um, Tanner is actually a really good arm wrestler, but he also gets hurt because his wrist will want to dislocate. Like he's got the power behind it, but is is it's just not good for his tissue. Um, Would you say that that's another reason that like maybe a double thumbless lift for like inch bells wouldn't happen for him? Because has, has, has he done that feat? Or because I don't so think he's I've, on the list for that. I've seen Tanner lift um, an inch thumbless. I've not seen him try double. I think he both. could. Okay. Uh, but I'll, he'll tell you it's not comfortable for him. And it's because as he starts to lift, he, he gets this pop mm-hmm. and it's awkward. And, and like arm wrestling him is no fun because right when you grab, you start to pull, you feel his wrists start to pull apart, but he's got a really strong bicep. And it's like, this feels like we shouldn't be doing it. it mm-hmm. Every time there's ever come over and we get to arm wrestling, he always goes, I'm not going to arm wrestle today. 
But then like three beers later, he's going fucking crazy top rolling people. You know what I mean? He's just, he's seeing like that, man. Um, Robert, Robert weighs probably 115 to 120 pounds. And Robert has brought pony shoes over and folded them down like paper clips so tightly that if you were to take it and hit it with a hammer, you couldn't make it move another eighth of an inch. Yeah, so it's basically you, like machine pressed. It, it's like the most compressed it's mm-hmm. going to get. If you put more pressure, it'll just be springy. It, it can't be moved. Um, he's bent a penny in front of me, a real U.S. penny. That is unbelievable to me. Um, that that was one of the cooler things that I've ever seen. Um, Andrew was always fun to do contests with because it never seemed like he was out of it. Like Andrew was always funny to me. So at, at nationals in 2012, I think Andrew did a, like, like a 198 rated gripper. That was one of the highest gripper. I that still probably is one of the highest rated gripper closes that's ever been done in contest. It and has the to thing be. about yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I, I know Paul Knight did a 194 at the Metroflex I was at. Andrew did that. I know Andrew did a, did Chris Rice's 212. It was either 212 or maybe even 220 and a choker at one of the Gritmuses. But that particular close from Andrew that day, it was crazy to me because he knew he was ahead on points and it was the first event. So it's not like he really needed to do any more because the number two close was by me at 185. And I told him as soon as I put it down. Like I got the good from the judge and I'm like, I'm done. Like I, I, one more attempt. I don't even want it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. I maybe could get the 191 today and then be fucked up for the next event. Like I don't even need it. Andrew didn't look done to me that day. He just didn't need it. And that was, that was just one of the things about lifting. If Andrew was man, like he'd hit a lift and you'd be looking at him and it's like, I don't think he's done. He might, he might say I'm done, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't have gave yeah. you one more. Just seems like there's more in the tank. Being at being at Mighty Mitts and seeing Andrew rip through the medley the way he did, when you look at who was there that day and on stage, Andrew came in weighing at like two thirty five, maybe two forty, whereas most of the guys were like two eighty into the three hundreds. Yeah, Andrew ripped pounds. that like maybe maybe I don't know seventy five seconds or something for all events, effortless. Just it was it was absolutely crazy. Um. Who else has done some neat shit that I've seen? Steven Anderson, seeing Steven do grippers is pretty fun. Steven had a completely different approach to doing his grippers. He basically didn't train, if that makes sense. Like <laughs> Steven would hit grippers and then not do them again for two or three weeks, which was actually an act of great discipline because he really wanted to do them. But he would send me videos at times doing warm-ups on shit, and it would be like, I can't believe you're fucking doing that. You've only been at this for, like, such a short period of time. Um, I don't know if he was, like, the fastest person to get to that MASH Monster level, but being that I was in communication with him through all the weeks of going through it, he definitely was one of the people that did it the easiest. He, he But he's, like, pretty high up. I don't – I mean, I – I'm I'm familiar with the Mash Monster ladder to some extent. Um, how high up is he? Is it like? I think I'm, so. I think Stevens at a seven, and I seven, think it's, seven or eight, maybe. Yeah, I think it might even go to ten. I'd have to look. I know that I I think Dave Shamey might have been the one to do the toughest one. Yeah, I, I, 
fun look. But but the point is this: the mash monster is relevant because every person who's done that gripper did that gripper. The same one. Yep. So completely unique in that sense. Um, and to see how well Steven did it, because I think it was, when Steven did his number six, so he shot his official footage. Um, you get three attempts and they all need to be a continuous loop of footage, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you can't be fucking around with it. It needs to be taken out of the box, that kind of deal. So once he had his, his three good closes, he shot one more video that was to a, a couple of us in a group text and like, I'm pretty sure that on that day, if he would have been able to just do six, seven, eight that day, I think he would have got all three in a row. Yeah. And, Cause you know how that is, man, you have these days that when you're on, you are like so dialed in and on. And I think he was, I think he was just perfectly recovered that day, but it was such a crazy ass close to see because I've seen the other people that did that gripper and they got it, but it took everything they had mm-hmm. and it absolutely effortless for him. So smooth. Um, yeah, and like I said, you could listen. We, we we could talk feats for days, man. I it don't matter to me. Um, but yeah, these these are just interesting because I like hearing. Like, I talk to somebody that's done amazing feats themselves, and then I I want to know, like, well, what feats do you like? You know, I mean, people like your feats. What what other stuff kind of inspires you? Um, uh, another topic I was going to dive in on. This is just kind of a funny one. Um, and it it's not that it has to be a major discussion, but um nowadays with all the social media the the fitness influencing type stuff um you get a lot of people using like performance enhancing drugs and stuff and that almost seems to be the norm you got guys that are like oh as soon as they turn 20 or they're 19 and they're they're shooting up shit or they're doing something whatever um but uh i and if i misquote you here um correct me i'm going off memory i'm going off of messages back in the archives here but I think you made the comment something about being clean and kind of like being against steroids. And you said, yeah, you know why I've never used steroids or I've never done that. It's because I have self-esteem. I think For that real. was like, like, well, that was a message that you sent to me and I, yeah. that one stood out to me and I kind of laughed about it. But uh at the same time, it's like, because it was such a good, like the way it was delivered was just delivered perfect. But it also is like funny at the same time as being true. Um, but yeah, you basically said, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't use steroids because I have a thing called self-esteem. Um, do you have a take on that or maybe some of the stuff we're seeing in the sport oh, with the gym that I lifted at for six years when we lived in Fort Worth? I remember there was a young kid that his dad started bringing him in when he was probably 14. And it seemed like a year goes by and this kid's back squat in 365 for sets of 10. And he's put on 85 pounds mm-hmm. and we get to talk and we get to be friends. And his dad's given him D ball because he wants him to be on the varsity football team. What a, like you're trying to build a champion athlete, which really should be starting with things like mindset, dedication, sacrifice. And instead you just put him on the fast track plan and what health problems we have later, I don't know, but he got to play high school football in Texas. So that was a win. I mean, that shit to me, uh, yeah. I've, I probably know, I bet I personally know probably a hundred different people that use steroids. I haven't met one of them that can justify it in any way that makes sense, unless you put their ego in front of it. Okay. You know what I mean? Why yeah. you take steroids so you can win an arm wrestling tournament? Okay. Well, what'd you get from that? You, you know what I mean? Hey, well, here's the first question. Was everybody there doing the same drugs? No, of course not. 
So what's that? You just, you know, different people have different opinions, but at the end of the day, the thing is this, um, if they had more self-esteem, they wouldn't need that shit. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. Uh, and I've, and especially now I could say, ask the number of people who will tell you about the number of times they've always offered to get me any drug I'd ever want. And I tell them I'm good. They'll tell you, dude, I'm not about that shit. I'm not going to lecture somebody else, but I will tell you, I've not met one person yet that was actively using gear that I could tell you like, dude, they are a strong mentality person. They got their shit together. No, they don't. It's just, that's it. Um, so for the, for the people that are using them, the justifications of why they're using them and how they're using them. And especially some of the irresponsible shit that comes with it and the consequences that can come with it. And in all arenas, um, I'm not about it. I, I think that the social media pressure now on the younger guys has really put, they have a huge incentive in front of them at this point because they're all trying to get monetized. They all think that yeah. that will, they want to be a, a fucking influencer and so pull 900 for, pounds and be 18 years old and pull 900 that, pounds or some crazy shit. And, and it's like, and, yeah. and they're, and the thing is, is they're completely ignoring the people that have already done that and, and had their go at it. Um, you know, like one of the guys has been probably the most vocal and telling the truth, not always at the right time, but over time has been Larry wheels. And to hear Larry talk about how miserable it has been on him. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he's still doing shit, but he's, at least he's a guy who went all the way out and then started to back down. And the thing is, is my prediction is, is what you'll see from him in 10 more years would be him coming off all the shit and then advising people to not even do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that's a consistent thing. Uh, I know that in the last four years, we've lost a lot of people where the irony is they were the fittest person that somebody else knew and they died in their forties. Yeah. of complications that can most likely be pinned to various steroid abuse. Um, the way these guys get their drugs is in itself absolutely insane. You're, you're, you're buying bottles of shit coming in from Mexico. You can't read what's on the label. And even then, that would be presuming that what's on the label is what's in, like, dude, it's. Yeah. I mean, you might as well be buying heroin or fentanyl or what, what. I mean, you might as well be just gambling almost to the same extent as a drug. I mean. And and that's that's the thing is if you look at someone and you were you know, well oh you know heroin users have a problem because using heroin okay I I agree with my yeah. thing is though is would you agree that they wouldn't need to do it if they had more self esteem and a lot of people I've heard said yeah they probably would be true it's like dude it's the same with this shit um so, you know some of the guys some of the guys have really gone hard on the um let everyone do what they want to do kind of thing. And I got to tell you watching being somebody who, who was able to kind of start up into YouTube when YouTube first became a thing and start onto Facebook when Facebook first became a thing and start on IG, you know what I mean? I was, I was there in the, the, the platforms mm -hmm. beginning and getting to see, okay, from the story of one, what have I seen it done to landscape? It's done more damage than good if we're going to measure it on the impact of people's lives, there's, there's a whole bunch of people in the world right now. It's almost impossible to get them going in a fitness program because the only calibration they have is they're looking at someone who's been juicing hard for five years. Hey, and, and don't give me the, Oh, but you got to train. I know you got to fucking train. That's not part of the conversation. 
The conversation, yeah. the drugs added to it. Um, the the consequence of of some of these people using the combinations of shit they're using is currently unpredictable. You know what I mean? But I, mm-hmm. I'll tell you this. I know enough people that have gone through the loop to see what happens when they come on the other end. When they have to come off cycle, they're depressed and miserable. And when they do try to train drug free, they can never stay with it because it's, it's like, it's like if the first car I ever gave you was a Maserati and then I took it away after three years and just made you drive like a fucking piece of shit 1992 Escort with a spare tire donut on the side. You know what I mean? Like, dude, you're never going to be happy in that car again. Maybe yeah. it gets you to work and you're not bitching about that, but you're just never going to be happy with it the way you were with that Maserati. And in my opinion, you, you, you're in a scene now where you have 17, 18, 19 year olds doing fucking trend. Okay. Let's jump forward 10 years. Uh, you quit training because you finally met that girl and you got her pregnant and you got three beautiful kids and you got a job and you realize that you need to get back into it, right? You always hear that. I need to get back into it. Bro, how are you ever going to compete with your previous self with the fucking pedestal you put up there? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and I think that's what kills a lot of guys when they when they do come off of stuff like that is you almost get hit with that reality, like you said, where it's like, oh, now I have to put in work or now the work isn't coming as easy or the reward isn't right there. Um, and uh, and another point to bring up, like I said, I don't want to badger the topic to death, but uh, it, it's just something that stuck with me or just being somebody that doesn't fucking take anything either. It's like, yeah, I've seen cats that take shit and basically roll around and, uh, you know, they'll come up and like pull my max as a fucking warm up and shit. And I'm just like, well, yeah, I remember you five years ago when like you couldn't even fucking bench 135, you know? So it, it, of course. So I, I've got a couple of buddies here that, they're no longer actively competing in strong men, but they do still fuck around with it. And they still do a little bit of their shit, but not like they used to. And bro, they're literally never just, they never can have a satisfying session. So go to the gym, go deadlift, you know, 735 for a triple. Everyone in the room has never seen anyone do that in that particular gym. And they're just disgusted of themselves because when they were on trend, they could do 880 for a double. It's yeah. like, bro, you're never going to do that again. You're never going to do that again. Yeah. And is that going to be like for me now at 40, there are very few lifts in the realm of grip that I think I could never best. Like I'm pretty sure if you, this will be a good little time capsule for us. So my prediction is for me at 40 today, when I'm 44, everything I've ever done in the realm of grip, not the athletics part. I don't know if I'll ever be able to do some of the gymnastics I've done when I was like 30. But at 44, my prediction, I will have broken every lift that I've ever done. You know what I mean? My axe will be more. My sacks will be more. All my lifts will be more. At 40, I can tell you, I doubt I could do an obstacle course the way I could do when I was 24. Yeah. When that's all I, when that's when that's what I got paid to do, right? But at the same time, I can look at the rest of my life and be excited for the next session because it's it's always just been me. And for us, we're at the advantage of for our sport. It doesn't matter what you look like and tendons tend to keep getting better over time. 
versus if the only game was keep muscle, you becoming a you know you're losing muscle at a certain age, right? Odhagen has proven that you don't really lose that much tendon strength. Motherfuckers in his seventies still lifting, so that allows me to engage it enthusiastically. The ones I know that got into the shit, especially got into it in their early twenties and whatever, bro, they're never gonna be happy again. They're they're never gonna be satisfied again. Um, the last big arm wrestling practice I was at, there were three different guys I pulled on the table. And when they asked how long I had been competing and how strong I felt on the table, they had asked no questions about who I was or what I've done, especially the ones who pulled me left hand. Um, if you didn't know me and you grabbed me left-handed and then I told you I've only been doing this for a year and you made it the decision that that equals that you're a pussy, you really just fucked up. It's like, yeah, there's not a lot of people left-handed ever, ever feel like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They all immediately told me how their next plan is they're going to call this guy and get this pill and this shot and what am I taking? It's like, I don't do none of that. I don't do none of that. I don't even follow a good diet and I drink like every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, like your, your solution to beat me will not work over time because in 10 years from now, I'll still be training and you will have gone high up in the air and burst and fell to the ground and you're burnt shreds. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of juiced lifters that get to lift for life. There's just not. Well, it's, and, it's, uh, and another, yeah. And another point that like goes with that is like, you kind of, you mentioned it slightly was where, you know, somebody might just try to justify taking something and then they kind of hit with like, Oh, but you still got to do the training. And it's like, well, of course you motherfucker. Like the other people are doing the training too. Like, that's why like when, when someone like you or someone that is at a world class that is clean, it's like, that's why it carries so much weight when someone like you takes that stance or has that opinion, because it's like, yeah, this is a guy that has dedicated his entire fucking life to his craft or his training and done like essentially for body weight. I mean, the feats we named the, some of the highest level stuff. I mean, some of the best plate curls we've ever seen the two, 200 pound fucking inch dumbbell type lifts, clean axle lifts, you know, whatever. So it's like, you're the, the, the people's defense that like, Oh, well, you still got to do the training. It's like, that's not really the fucking argument because you, you might have somebody else that's clean. that's fucking out training you already. And you're just taking shortcuts. I mean, it's different if it's somebody that's like, they're a slouch and they don't train and they have no idea what's going on and they're just talking shit. But when it comes from a valid source, that's like doing the same training or even greater training than you are. And you're trying to justify your use. I just feel like it's a losing battle every time for these guys. And, and you know, and to, and, and to really encapsulate that part too, to back up, let me get through a couple of the comments statements. Well, everyone else is doing it. No, they're not. No, they're not. That's what every person who's currently using steroids is telling themselves is that everyone else is doing and they need to keep a competitive advantage. That shit is not true. Um, number two, it only helps a little bit. Okay, if that's true, then why are you doing it? If it's only yeah. a little Um, The flip end of that is people who believe that now that they finally gotten their hands on it, shit, that it's going to turn around and and make them win big events. I'll tear it out. I have beaten just as many enhanced athletes as I have drug free ones. Like you're not automatically going to win that day just because you're on it. I have beaten people arm wrestling and they're using steroids. I've beaten people in jujitsu tournaments. who are using steroids. I've beaten people in grip sport, arm lifting, all the shit you want to call it. Um, cause, cause you know, just like you got to do the work. We also need to know how to play the game. 
Uh, at the end of the day, the biggest X factor is when I'm com- in competition of someone who's in that state and they're doing that shit is there's a part of me that just was somehow able to stand without needing it. And there's a part of them that wasn't strong like that. And I've, there's a lot of guys I meet all the time and they're definitely bigger than me. And I don't know, that shit doesn't intimidate me one bit. It's, it's, and it's not any kind of retarded monkey shit. Like, Oh, we're going to fight right now. At the end of the day, I'm looking at somebody and it's like, there's a character defect in you. And I have my own defects, of course, but I don't have that one. And, and just, I feel like, man, you know how back in the day, like doctors in the twenties used to tell pregnant women to smoke a cigarette to calm down. And then we learned, of course, that like you're harming your babies, bro. There's, there's a whole group of influencers that one day they're going to realize that they told people to do shit and they minimize things that cost an entire generation of men substantial health problems. I'd say their health. Yeah. Basically, they're, I mean, their uh, life, you know, and, and, and crazy. You could just be healthy. Like you could. This is one of those things that, that generally speaking, when somebody gets into strength sports and more lifting, a lot of the times they generally are making more healthier decisions. Like if you and I could go in a room of a hundred, a hundred dudes in a room and convince them to just agree to play a competitive sport, if they stuck with it, it would be predictable that five years later, overall, that hundred people would be in a better condition. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure their blood pressure would be some amount better or maybe their heart health or there's all this shit that generally comes with it. You put that into the mix and that is just not the same observation. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I think that, like you said, you know, someone's opinion now, 10 years later might be vastly different. And then the landscape of all this shit that people are doing 10, 20 years down the road, you're going to see a lot of these motherfuckers probably dropping like flies or you're going to see probably a, a, whole, a whole shift. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a, a hot thing now, but when, when it comes on the downswing, um, it's probably going to shift hard back the other way. And people are going to realize like, yeah, you guys are all basically like fake or you're killing yourself or you're just, I don't know, not doing it right. If that makes There's sense. Span- I-, I can't. I mean, well, it's like, I'll tell you this, there's never been anything that's persuaded me to see it differently. You know what I mean? At the end Mm -hmm. of the day, I've playing now in strength sports for two decades. Nobody's results have ever been so good that it made me curious. No one has ever offered in a pitch that made it convincing. The, The biggest thing I've seen with it is is it's just a use of of ego and predator level manipulation you know what i mean the guys that are selling the shit are scaring the guys into either a thinking that their opponent is already doing and they're automatically going to lose if they don't or they're stroking that ego and pushing all the wrong buttons because at the end of the day here's how your life is going to be different if you were 40 pounds more muscular today you're just going to have a bigger grocery bill if if you break every record of every lift you're currently doing right now to the point that some would argue you're best in the world, you're still going to wake up tomorrow and be the same asshole that you are right now. Your children will not love you more. You know what I'm saying? If, yeah. if you're not married, it's not like you're going to find that wife. And if you are married, it's not like your marriage is going to get better. Your boss is not going to give you a promotion. You're, you're not even going to make or lose friends. Like, 
you are whoever you are. So the idea that somehow it would be a better version of you if you were this much stronger, this much more, man, that's all bullshit. It's just, um, you know, man, so the leanest I've ever, I grew up as a kid. I wasn't a fat kid and I wasn't a skinny kid. Okay. So as, as a, as a kid that was never either the skinny kid or the fat kid, I always wondered about both growing up, um, in the military, the optimal way you need to be built is very much not like Tyler Durden and fight club. Like if you're going to be working 16 hour days in the heat with all your gear, you actually don't want to be the leanest person possible. It's only going to make shit harder, right? There's an amount of weight you need to carry. So when I got out of the service, I looked like a fit person, but I wanted to look like a fitness person. So I did the thing, man. I, I did the, I did the, uh, I'm going to, you know, go through all the extremes of it. And I remember 2015, I, I would sit around 5.8, 6% body fat. And I could get that down even almost a whole percent lower in about three weeks lead in. Like if you said like, mm-hmm. Hey, be ready to do a photo shoot three weeks lead. And I could be, I, I could be shown in like remarkably lean. Do you know what changed in my life? Nothing. Nothing. I didn't feel better or worse about myself. The people around me didn't treat me better or worse. Nothing was different. Um, I stayed lean for probably like five years and then I started to gain weight and then I tried to get fat. Like I really, I made it, made an effort. I, I, I can only get so fat, but I remember I got to the point that I was like, I'm as fat as I've ever been in my life. And do you know what changed? It was still me every day brushing my teeth. My wife loves me all the same. You know what I mean? My uh, The people around me treat me the same. The fitness industry, the greatest lie that is used to manipulate all these people is this story that that if we changed, you know, how you look, we changed you. That's not true. If you hate yourself now and we help you lose 40 pounds, you'll hate that person too. And if you yeah. hate yourself now and you put three inches on your arm, you're still going to hate yourself. Like people need to learn to settle themselves and 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 they won't fall into all the devices and hooks that's being used to just manipulate you to spend money in all these different ways. It's kind of like believing that uh, happiness is a destination. Well, if I wasn't here and I was living there, it'd be better. It's like life's still life. It's still life. Like, and that's that's kind of how I have always viewed it or kind of uh, summarized it. Where, like you said, just, just because you pull off X Y Z lift doesn't mean that anybody gives a shit about it. Like, you're still gonna be yourself. Um, and there's certain people that fall into that trap. Like, well, you know, they try to blame like the, where they grew up, the town they live in, their certain circumstances, their, their job. And it's like, yeah, if if you can't get yourself right, or you can't get yourself under control, then a different destination doesn't matter. A different physique doesn't necessarily matter. Um, so hundred percent, um, in agreement with the point you're making, it's almost more of a psychological thing. Dude, if you, if you, if like, if you came over here for a contest and I had all the people that are in my normal day-to-day month-to-month life over. Cause I do a lot of barbecues and hosting. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we got this property. Here's what would make you laugh. No one here could tell you anything about me. They don't even know what sport I do. They don't know if I'm good or bad at it. They have yeah. no idea. Any of my lifts are stack up. They, they have no idea about me. 
and that'd be my point. Like the people who are, who are in my life, cause there's people through the internet that maybe they think they know me. Like, oh, you people message me on Instagram that I've got back to. I don't know you. You don't know me. The people in my life don't care about any of that shit I've ever done. Mm-hmm. They'll just say things like, oh, well, if it makes them happy, I like it. And then you know what that means. And it's important to believe, just, just buy into that. Like no one else cares. So just make sure you care. Mm-hmm. And and find the thing that you can grow in. And I'm not even going to use the word happy because happy is a dangerous concept. It's We live in a world of fucking crazy people. So I never even want to tell people anymore, do what makes you happy because who knows what they're <laughs> Do things that you think make you better. Do do something that makes you better to where it, it makes you better today, but it also is making you better tomorrow. And if you can find anything that does that, maybe that's a good thing for you. You'll, you'll figure it out, but, but absolutely do not think I remember this. So, so I'm running a fitness program in Minnesota. We have 900 clients, bro, 900. Mm-hmm. Okay. I go to the Arnold. I lift. We were even on TV for a second. I get back from it. No one in the entire gym at any day where I'd been. And then someone mentioned a thing like, oh, yeah, Adam was at Arnold. And they're like, oh, wow, that's great. And then you see him turn to like, what the fuck is he Arnold? And that's the point. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I think something is huge, but don't expect anyone else to. And, and when you when you can get that in and just be satisfied, it's very easy to slug it out day by day, week by week. And, and not get wrapped up in, in like what I talked about earlier, just like what I call the negativity of social media, where, you know, the grip world's terrible with this. Some new guy comes out and they do something, you know, they uh, fucking new guy puts up a video of a handle. And instead of people either saying nothing or giving him a like or a thumbs up or a good job, or you don't even have to do none of that. People want to get into, you know, oh, well, you're, you're grabbing it the wrong way or what kind of chalk are you using or you know, it's like, dude, why do you even care? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a kind of person, I love these people, Zach. There are people who you look at their social media profile and it'll say something like, you know, Western Canada lightweight champion on the flask rating three. Dude, if you feel so strongly about it, that that's the first piece of info I need to get when I see you, that's fine. I'm, yeah. I, if that's what you're going to lead with, I'm definitely not going to waste my time poking at that. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously yeah. that I'm too hot of an issue and I don't even know this person or care. So like, there's, there's just, there's this thing that social media takes people who can kind of be dumb and it amplifies how dumb they can get. And then it takes people that are generally pretty reasonable and the dumbness gets in, man. Like, and it just sucks them in. You almost get, almost get tunnel vision, but uh, yeah, it is kind of funny that hey, you bring that up. You started playing if the can lifts that motherfuckers started commenting. What can are you guys using? And can I, do you remember that? Like I, uh, slightly. When, yeah. When, it, when you started doing it, people started making comments like, Oh, well, I don't like the bang can because it sits this way versus that kind of can. And it's like, you guys have completely lost the point. <laughs> the, the point, the point is right now, you guys are such fucking nerds that now you're talking about the can. And you're not even paying attention to what he's actually doing as he's figuring something out right now. Yeah, you know because I mean, I mean if, you, if you just pull a regular lift versus the the strictness or the the lack of movement or like that dead choke position to keep it 
a strict enough lift for the can. I mean, you're just training. It's just different. So yeah, I mean, but the real point is, is I'd have guys say things like they'd send a video and they lift a type of an inch, maybe it's a 140 or a 150, right? But it's a type of an inch and they put effect grips on it. And they, they go out of their way to say things like, well, I know it's not a can. It's like, when the fuck did I comment negatively? Good for you for trying something cool Mm -hmm. of you to think to show it to me keep going is going to be, you know, but like just that man, it's, it's just, they're just a bunch of fucking nerds always worrying about the wrong shit. You know what I mean? Someone puts up a lift and they want to get into well, what, what brand is it? And is it, what chalk are you man? And none of that shit, it doesn't matter because it's implied. What they're implying is that it somehow would be a different outcome if the answer was different, but it's not, it's the same shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I'd want the community to grab at. It's just the understanding that like, Nobody cares and there's nothing wrong if you care, but don't get mad that other people don't care. It, it, that's, that's just wasted effort. Like, yeah, don't, it, it's a very, very similar, um, take to, to how, I mean, what you just said about like performance enhancing stuff or steroid type shit is, uh, you know, like not for you, not your thing, but you're not necessarily out here. Like, I don't know, picketing and fucking with the people that actually are using, it's like, yeah, do what you want to fucking do. It's not my thing, whatever. You know, it's like kind of the same thing online. I mean, you can, I don't know, you you can kind of look the other way and not always have to comment or get roped into, I guess, weird, weird battles or shit like that. If uh, you, you it, it's, it's the other thing is with it at the end of the day, man, some of it is just, it, it just gets into one of the problems is, is that the distance of internet it, it kind of made people more cowardly in a way, oh, yeah. you know, because the old system would be don't say shit about somebody. If you got a problem with them, unless you're talking to them in person, but yeah. now it became a thing of where there's people that they know they'll never encounter. And they just say all kinds of things. And at the end of the day, man, if somebody's decided they don't like you for some reason, they're always going to find a problem. Mm-hmm. You, you know, where will the problem be? Well, literally whatever you do next. And, and I feel like, Doing that to yourself, like partaking in that system day by day, week by week, year by year. I think, I think it damages people. I, I just, I, I would just want to caution people to demand, try to remember that nobody gives a shit before you pop off a three paragraph response on why you have an issue with a fucking gym exercise that Dickhead is doing right now. Like move the fuck along, go look at the kitten or something. Move, move to the next post. Go watch the next TikTok dance. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, I, and it's a good point. Um, and I just think overall, um, that's almost like the best policy to have online. It's like either, at, at least for me, I'm really not interacting with too many people that I don't know personally. I'm not going to say I don't follow some that I don't, but it's keeping that kind of real life perspective thing, like. I'm not saying shit to somebody that if we weren't in the same room, I wouldn't say, I mean, or if I'm saying something that it's to someone I don't know about a lift, um, it's generally going to either be encouraging or I'm not writing anything at all. Very rarely has there ever been a time where I felt the need that like, I'm going to go talk some shit to somebody online. It just, it's, I don't know. But like nowadays it's such a common thing and it's just what happens. If there was a feature that you could look at someone's account and see all the comments they've ever left on other people's shit. You know what? The amount of comments they leave on other people's shit would be no different than when we lift in person. I have people yeah, come exactly. 
the weekends and they do all kinds of bad lifts. I don't say shit. I don't care. Yeah. Like, even if I think you're going to hurt yourself, I don't know. I don't know the future. I'm not a doctor. I'm not gonna, I'm at a point now where it's like, eh, let's say you want to fucking do it. Oh, you need to add 20 more pounds. Well, let's see what happens. Dude, I'll, you'll figure it out. Like, that's yeah. for, I'm just, I, maybe that's a age thing. I don't know. I'm just at a point now where I feel like they'll fucking figure it out. Like, I don't, I don't have to save anyone from themselves. You know what I mean? E- yeah. Even I've, old podcasts I've done emphasizing maybe the wrong messages. At the end of the day, the, the big thing is this. If I have to choose between a person playing a sport badly or not playing at all, let them play badly. Mm-hmm. Because in my own life, the, the biggest frustration is watching friends of mine that were competitive in college and now they're 40 and they're not doing things and they're doing shit like we're having a barbecue and we need to move the grill and they throw their back out helping me move the grill. And it's like, this wouldn't be happening if you kept yourself in order, but I also understand why that didn't happen. And it's because you lost the thing to chase. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm at a point now, man, hey, let, let people do all their shitty lifts because I'd rather have you play the sport poorly than just not do it at all. You know, like, because I feel like anybody who sticks with it does get better over time. They they work themselves out. Yeah. And then at the same time, like you're saying, it's not, it's not your responsibility to like save everybody or, or, you know, correct new people all the time or something. I'll say, I don't want to throw a percentage on it because there's no way to ever know the actual percentage of what it would be. Um, so it's kind of irrelevant, but if you did try to reach out with the best advice that you could possibly come up with your expertise in this field, they're most likely not going to give a fuck anyway, or they're going to, you know, they're not going to imply it. They're not going to, it's not going to be instilled in them. They're not going to have a change of heart and turn it around to a 180 the next session. And it's it, most likely they're not doing the sport a year later. Ah, they think that guy, you know, they can't, maybe they can't take the criticism if they're younger or in this newer generation, ah, that guy's kind of hating on my lift. He's talking shit. And it's like, you're missing the point. So like you said, even if you reached out with the most positive of messages and tried to extend that hand to like, Hey buddy, I know what, I know what I'm talking about trying to save you some of these speed bumps you're going to run into. They probably wouldn't listen anyway. And they're going to fucking run into him head first anyway. So I you an asshole for saying anything. So that's why it's funny. It's, and, and that gets into just the craziness of, of, it, it it deals with the disorder of this system where if it was all face-to-face interactions, things would make sense. Like normally, okay, mm-hmm. normal real-world interaction, uh, when you meet someone the first time, there's topical areas you may or may not encounter, and there's a whole bunch you don't. It's it's not hard to figure out all the things you don't talk about because it's like, okay, what's the list of shit you don't talk about new people? All the shit going on with your life would be a great start, Right. Don't give them an oh, online man. Uh, people, I bet if I bet if I could go screen to screen and just pull up my Instagram right now, I could show you messages people have never heard of before. Send me messages as long as my hand with all of their health prompts. Yeah. I graduated from the Detroit public school system and then joined the military. Do I look <laughs> like some fucking doctor or expert? You know what? Like, yeah. why are you telling me your meds? What degree in pharmacology do I have? I don't know drug interactions. Like, what did your doctor tell you? And then they'll like crazy shit. Mike Nelson and I are real good friends. Mm-hmm. I've been friends with Mike almost 20 years. Mike 
is a PhD. He has multiple master's degree. He has even more bachelor degrees. Okay. Mike will write an article and what he does is take an abstract of a study and then pull it down without twisting meaning into this is what this is suggesting, right? Mm-hmm. Motherfuckers will take Mike's analysis, send it to me, knowing that we're buddies, and say, Adam, what do you think? Fuck, I don't know. I guess I agree with Dr. Mike. Why are you asking? Like, why are you <laughs> double-checking Dr. Mike against fucking Mr. Goat Farmer? Like, what the? But that's what they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's madness, bro. It's 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 a, it, and it'll only get worse over time, because it's always been a joke that personal trainers are just twenty year olds, right? That's that's always been kind of the joke. Is well, yeah, you know, the the, the personal trainer. You know, you look at every sitcom, right? The trainer is a twenty one year old. Well, now we're get, gonna hit a point though where the 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 people you'll see on the internet engaging the marketplace will be so far removed than even people you encounter in a gym. And it'll it'll produce environments where everyone in a room thinks they're losing compared to someone that where it's not even real. Like with yeah. you have on the spot editing technology at this point. You can shoot a video and make yourself look thinner or stronger even. It just yeah. that's why it is good in my opinion for anyone who's finding the sport virtually to to go to contests and to actually meet the other people playing it because the very first thing you'll probably discover is most of us have a fairly comparable lifestyle. Like most of us work something blue collar, not mandatory. Most of us have a family. Most of us have been at this for an amount of time where there's decidedly an easy streak of not winning before there are any wins. So you can, we can easily talk about the frustration of being a new guy if that's what you need to do. Um, and then the other side is, and this will come out, you know, anybody who watches a bunch of interviews like what you'll be building, we're all kind of the same in the same way too, in that the amount of time it took to get good at something would only stand out to somebody if they wanted to listen to dates. You know, it's like that. What do they say for for the musicians, bro? Someone's an overnight success after 10 years, right? Like that whole thing. Um, I have seen some people who did come forth and like day one, they were shit hot amazing. But you know what happens for a lot of those dudes? It just doesn't capture their interest. Like maybe they're too good day one. And they don't really uh, climb too high from that. They're almost good with maintaining it. Because they already like, started so high. I'll tell you this. This is why Carl Myerskoff will end up being probably the greatest overall strength grip guy ever, like as, as the years go by. Mm-hmm. It's because Carl was already stronger than all of us day one. Okay. And yet he somehow kept himself to keep going. Whereas all the others didn't. I mean, and not, not disparaging anyone, but you look at, okay. Brian Shaw never came to a grip contest that I'm aware of. Is there one that I'm not aware of? Yeah, I don't, not to my knowledge. What what I am aware of is he's enormously strong. He could very easily do some things that some people could work for almost their entire life and just maybe not achieve. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the biggest 
reason that we never got to see Brian do that is, okay, who's prepared to show up and lift against Brian? You, you know what I mean? If Brian mm-hmm. said, I'm going to do a grip contest, the grip community is a group of people are all they're going to do is piss and moan about any event selected. And even if they try to pick events that they think would be detrimental to him, if he loses, it's lose, lose for him. Cause if he loses, all they do is brag about it. But if he wins, all they do is talk about his size. Excuse well, Carl, here. you know, Carl's a fucking giant man. He's like six ten. Probably three seventy five to four hundred. He's the first time I met him. Carl was like four thirty or something. Carl was really big when I first met him. He got he's gotten healthier as he's been doing this for a couple of years. Carl's always been in a position to be number one. Now, as he's really actualizing it, he's setting. He's like throwing. I heard the story of this Navy SEAL that got shot and he got out of this combat zone. Because he would throw a rock and make himself crawl to the rock and then throw the rock. Mm-hmm. And he literally crawled out of a fucking shit area, right? That's Carl in, in a psychological respect. Um, if Carl quit improving on all his lifts, he would likely go unbeaten for probably the next five, six years. But that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is he's going to keep making himself do harder and harder things. And at this point, I don't know who there would be to motivate him. Like, I don't know who there will ever be to really motivate him. But yeah, I also, yeah, we don't we'd have to be almost international. Um, like, and man, yeah, I don't even know who it would be. It's tough. Um, did you see the Arnold at all? Um, where no, they lifted no. this year? Um, there's a there's a dude, uh, Kim Johansson. It's like C I M is his first name. He's from Australia. Uh, no, uh, that might be Luke Reynolds that you might be thinking that, of. Um, in a Luke Reynolds. But yeah, but uh. Kim Johansson, um, this year at the Arnold, um, what ended up happening was they ran like the rogue axle, which I'm, I'm not really a big fan of, but whatever. Um, they ran the rogue axle up to like 550. Um, and the issue, or I guess not, I don't say the issue, but Carl basically got injured, um, pulling and it was really, it wasn't necessarily like an injury. It was almost, he wasn't prepared to pull like five or six pulls over 500 because Kim actually matched his lifts. So being at the top, I mean, they pull 500. Okay. They pull 510, 520, 530, 540. And it was like, they're getting their little bit, like, you know, two or three minutes in between. But in training, it's like, how many times did you pull 500 plus pounds? You just, you weren't really thinking about it. If I had to lift of Carl, if we were doing any contest, that I could get close enough to him to start playing that game with them. That'd be the only way I'd be trying to, is I would be trying to Carl back on the platform over and over and over as as possible trying to rush his ass. And I would be a douchebag at the contest to get him to rush. Cause he's a really sweet guy. And he's also not really someone you push around much, but that'd be the only game I'd have to play is I'd, I'd be having to try to get him to get fired back up, to get on the platform over and over and over. Because if if you if you don't if you don't push him, yeah, and that's what would happen is like Carl would hit the lift and we're like, okay, Kim's gonna miss, and then Kim would pull the lift and we're like, oh shit, Carl's back up, and it was just like five times over five hundred, and then they ended up tying at like five fifty or something, and it's like a one point nine axle, so it's a little little thinner than like the Iron Mind, but it's a the Rogue axle, but then when it got to the Saxon, those attempts on the axle had uh, like burnt Carl out so much because he wasn't anticipating it that he 
he kind of had a very shit lift on Saxon for him and Kim ended up winning it due to the, just that pace of the axle. So like I said, I, I think there's, I say very, very, very few, very few people that could fucking um, give Carl a run for his money, especially those type of that event selection. But like in a situation like that, if, unless you're pulling international, I don't know anybody in the U S right now that would have done that. I mean, that's maybe taking a phenom from Sweden or wherever Kim's from. I'm not sure, but I mean, that, that was rare. I mean, we were all expecting Carl to like come right back up and then, oh man, he, well, yeah, they tied the axle, but Carl's going to pull 300 on the Saxon. So it doesn't matter. And then like 240 started popping out of his hands and it was like, whoa, what's wrong? Like, you know, is he injured? What happened? And it was like the amount of pulls over 500 just like fried out wrist or maybe strained something a little bit and uh, kind of changed the outcome a little bit. So I didn't know that, but I'll tell you that that story excites me because Mm -hmm. Carl's the kind of athlete that encountering a new problem will produce new results as he goes forward. He he will take that situation and say that ain't happening again, you know what I mean? And go yeah. in and fix. Um, I'll tell you, for me, out of all contest results that were shit, I'll tell you the one that was the most shit was in 2012 for strongest hands. I posted a zero for Euro pinch for one of the legs, and what happened was was in training, I was going. 225, 230, 235, 240, over and over and over, over and over. Like at Nationals that year, I pulled in the 250s. But what I didn't account for was I was going to be running the contest that day, meaning I'm going to be swapping spacers. I'm going to be crowding these assholes around the room. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be on a score sheet. And I just didn't plan for what would it be like if you don't get to do any of the things you normally do. And I totally, it's funny. So I missed 222 right at 100 kilos, right? I missed it four times in a row. Now I'm at, now I'm out. I go up to it the fifth time. And this, I, I did all my attempts fast. I was trying to get amped up, right? This is back when I, when I, before I had my mind stuff shift. Grab it, pull it, didn't count, but I just lifted it to full lift, laughed, threw 20 pounds on, picked it up again through five more pound pit. It was like, okay, so I, I totally killed myself, but how did I prep? So what did I do since then? Um, I, it, it led me to completely change it. And it had a big change in my pinch that I never would have got had I not had to deal with the embarrassment of scratching in an event. Mm-hmm. You know, like for a lot of people, man, like for a serious competitor, dude, your bad days give you so much more than your good days. Your good yeah. days give you a thing that you can use to pat yourself on the fucking back for, but the bad days you change well, some shit. I was going to say, man. And just because you have a, a background of at least, you know, training some jujitsu and shit, um, you, you'll, you'll get what I'm saying with this is uh, um, I can remember back. This would have been uh, 2015 for me. I started training about 2009. I had my first MMA fight in 2010, but this would have been about six years in or so. Um, so about, 2015 2014 and uh it was like for nogi um you know they break it down like whether you have like uh beginner novice or whatever then you have like intermediate then you have uh advanced or expert blah 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 depending on organization and how they run it and when you get up to advanced you're dealing with anything from high level purple belts up to black belt it's that's 
the top. So I remember making that transition back around uh, that time, maybe in like 2015 and uh, went against a a, a solid black belt out in Arizona. I was stationed out there at the time and uh, I I went against this dude and I I have really good head and arm chokes. So that's kind of what I would be like known for. If you could say like, what's something that Zach does. Okay. Grappling is real good. Like Anaconda Darce chokes and stuff like that um, off of like sprawl attempts and different things. So I ended up getting fucking Darce choked by this dude. Now it took about four and a half minutes into the match, but he was a good black belt, but this is the first time that I had um, jumped up to like advanced and Nogi. Like I said, I had some MMA fights and other shit, but for just strictly grappling, um, this was the first time I made that jump up to the advanced level and like, Hey, I'm, I'm rolling with a black belt here and Nogi, whatever. And you train in the gym and stuff, but I'm saying competition wise. And, And the first thing I realized is like, I'm in half guard and he's doing shit that I don't understand. And it's like, it's already hitting me mid-match. And I'm hey, like, yeah. well, something feels different. What the fuck is going on? And next thing you know, one thing leads to another. I avoid some leg locks. Like I said, we go back and forth about four and a half minutes. Um, so it wasn't like a bad, terrible showing, but I ended up getting Darce choked. And I'm like, well, fuck, like that's what I do to people. And he did that to me. Um, so the first thing I did when I got back, like back on base and was training with some of my people and, you know, guys from the gym was I was like, get in half guard right now and do this. And I just had to like dissect the fucking problem all over again. And then I was like, you know what? Looking back on it, how I'm, how I'm tying this into what we're talking about is I learned more in that four and a half minutes where I got submitted. I learned, I learned six months worth of information in four and a half minutes as opposed to having an ego and maybe competing in a easier division running through, Oh, I got double golds. I went three, and zero, four and zero in both divisions. I got double golds. It's like, yeah. But on those days where like you win every fucking thing, do you really actually learn that much? Because like I said, I took one loss that fucking day to that black belt. And like I said, it was the first time I jumped up, but I learned more from that loss than I, than I ever did in tournaments where I just fucking ran the bracket, you know? So very similar um, kind of mindset with grip too. I mean, like you're saying with Carl, I mean, if there's ever a problem, yeah, he's the guy that's going to dissect it in training. Same thing with you. So I, I equate it to kind of like that, like people that are afraid to get out here and compete and lose, like, man, if you just go and do it, that's where you're going to learn the most, most likely. I mean, very rarely are you going to have a full sweep and win every single event and walk away and be like, you know what? This is probably the most meaningful comp because I learned the most. Dude, it is, it is a terrible indicator of ego if the answer for someone is, is they don't want to compete unless they win, that means you're not competing at all. Yeah. That'd be like, if you, if you go gambling and you win every time. Right. 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 I'm not talking about someone so good that they automate that they're competitive to drive to win. I'm talking about, there's a, there's a problem where someone says, if I can't, if I couldn't take first, I wouldn't want to do it. That is an ego manifestation. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a narcissism thing, man. Like, there, there's a lot of people that it's good for them to maybe just be reminded that, yeah, dude, you're maybe you're not literally the best at everything in the world all the time, you know, and it's, it's, there's, there, there's some people that I've had that have come out and they trained hard and they lost badly and they lost with more grace mm-hmm. than the winners had going through their deal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah there was something more admirable about how they showed up to lose than maybe those who showed up to win at times. And 
there's a lot of reasons that someone would play the sport. There's a, there's a lot of things that can be, cause it's more of a vehicle than anything else, right? It's not where you are, but where you're going. Yeah. But I tell you most, of the adults I know would probably be in a healthier position if they were at least playing a sport where losing is more likely on the table than winning. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. because that really kind of is life. I mean, <laughs> it's I mean, generally, that's, in that's where you're going to build character or that's where you're going to find out about yourself. I mean, not, not saying you can't find out about yourself through adversity and still come out on top and win. That's totally possible. It happens. But a lot of times when you really find out about yourself is usually when shit's not going your way, when you maybe get stomped in a competition or you trained and had these training numbers. And then for some reason that day, it just didn't click. And it's like, that's where you have to start to problem solve or I don't know. Those I guess. Those, those are the most, the most important days. And, and it's funny because you, you asked that. In fact, that'd be a great question for you to routinely ask guests is when they had that time, because mm-hmm. I'll tell you three things that people figure out. The first thing they figure out is there's a whole bunch of people that have been keeping the wrong math. Like I've, I've personally encountered this with people who, who deal with me here where they'll say things like, you know, I'm always lifting 15 pounds more at my house than at your house. Okay, what is the simplest explanation for that? Your fucking plates aren't measured right. Whatever that means. Like, I don't know how you got your answer, but I know how I got my answer. And here's a scale, and we can put a scale weight on it, and we can weigh these plates, and you can see they're marked in a way that's being added up correctly. So if every time you come lift with me, you're lifting 15 pounds less, the most important thing to understand is your shit is not right. And that's not actually a problem unless you've been building this ego and now that's becoming a tripping hazard, right? Mm-hmm. The next one is, is I've seen of people where the pace they do in training isn't matching up with the pace of their competition. So I've been around folks who need a lot of time between lifts and those people can suffer in certain contest formats. And then I've also been around people that they're used to doing all of their work very quickly. Like some of the friends I have that are into these, you know, seven and eight minute CrossFit workouts where you basically get warmed up, kick the shit out of yourself for 10 minutes and you're good for the day. Mm-hmm. Well, those people are going to learn a lot doing a contest where if we're doing four events and we're doing rising bar, it could be 30 minutes from your second attempt going into your third, if you're being strategic the right way, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you look at an event, like um, what's a popular, what are, what the fuck are people doing right now? Um, Crusher, like, like for King Kong. Okay. Let's say you're aiming for a 220 crusher as your fourth lift. Right. And and that's only predicated on if you get your 211 lift and it goes well. Well, if you warmed up that day right at 181, you think about the average contest, bro, between 181 and 200, you might have 20 people take attempts before oh. you back up for attempt three. So this event might be running for an hour and a half, depending on how the, the meet coordinator is running the show and how many guests are there lifting. And I've seen people do absolutely awful just because they're not used to dealing with step up, hit the lift, and then have to go fuck off for 20 minutes. And and I'll t- you can't do, you cannot keep yourself aroused for 
four straight hours to only do 16 lifts or something. You have to figure out a different system. And that's why all the formats are good. This idea that, you know, that this format is so much better than that format. The real question is, what are you trying to measure? Like, what do you, what are you really trying to figure out? Um, you know, my personal opinions, when you have something like a limited number of events set with rising bar rules, generally speaking, the lifters who know themselves the best do better than maybe someone who's newer. The ones who know exactly what they can do tend to do the best because they tend to miss the least amount. I think if you want to find out who is the strongest on this thing on this day, um, last man standing is a great format. Uh, you know, is there downsides to both? Absolutely. Uh, last man standing can make for dreadfully long contests. Yeah. It can be really hard if you have like 30 competitors, but two of them are going to run the shit out of the bracket. Tanner and I have done this. And we did this to fuck with the other guys here where you hit a point where it's like, okay, I could just do a 40 pound jump, but I'm also trying to see if I can run him out of gas. So we'll just do five pound jumps all the way up. So there's eight fucking jumps over the next 25 minutes yeah, and they're just sitting here is bored out of their mind, but it's like, ah, this is all kind of part of my game too, though. So don't, don't think I'm not thinking of you guys. I'm specifically trying to wear you fuckers out. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's all, what are we trying to measure? What's the game? How are you trying to win it? Um, and I think they all have good use, man. I think at the end of the day, more people doing more contests will be, the best thing that we could aim for as a community goal for the next 10 years. Yeah. More, more important, you know, cause I've heard all the different things. I, I remember, I remember when the conversation that we were having in 2007, Nate online was like, once we get to the Arnold, everything will be different. And guess what? It wasn't. Mm -hmm. Once we get to the Olympia, it'll be different. And guess what? It wasn't. Once we get celebrities doing it, it'll be different. And guess what? It's not. It's not yeah, right it's now. Like, um, you can look at, uh, Juji Mufu, Larry Wheels, Devin Larrett, add up all the views they have combined and then tell me how many new active competitors do we have this year as the result of all that content? Few. Yeah. We've definitely got some good new guys too. There's no doubt about that, but we didn't, mm -hmm. dude, we didn't get what we thought. Zach, we thought in 2008, get a grip contest going at the Arnold's and you're going to have 20,000 people in the sport. Just never happened. Yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, I get at it. the end of the day, any statement that's predicated like, we need to do this and then the floodgates will open. No, it won't. What just needs to happen is, however it happens, is more contests with more people. Like, the greatest month in grip would be if in every state of the country, there was five to seven contests happening on a particular Saturday. You know what I mean? I think about like for my place here in Texas, if there was somehow that Austin, Fort Worth, Houston, El Paso, um, Tyler, Texas, all having a grip contest on a Saturday morning, that would be the best thing to happen for grip in Texas. Not all those assholes come to my house because that's not it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So I, cause I know there's a lot of people who keep bringing this topic up. And to me, it's the, after thinking about this for so many years, it's the only answer that actually makes sense because we've had a chance to see it play out now. Like 
we got our Larry Wheels. We got our Juju Mufu. We got our Devin Larratt. We got these guys who have followings bigger than we ever would have imagined anybody who's doing anything with hand strength is concerned. And it, it just, it didn't do the thing. And you know what, as a community, we really should all kind of feel stupid because all we really did when we did that is we hope somebody else would do the heavy lifting for us. We got yeah. lazy, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can see it. And arm lifting USA is a great example. They've, they've had all this expansion, but at the end of the day, getting in the expos didn't get the thing to work. And at the end of the day, what's going to get it to work is the number of contests per week, number of contests per month. And that's why to me, it, it ties back to what we talked about earlier. Don't worry about if you're doing the right equipment or if you got the right sanction or who's coming to your event, just have people out and give them a chance to enjoy it and see if they like it. Because if they do, you might have something going, but it's a lot better to just have a lot of people at a poorly run contest and have fun in some ways than to execute perfect tight execution. And you've got three lifters there plus their wives. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. You're like yeah, I said, you're basically just in your right. own little bubble. I mean, That's and it's, it. yeah. So I definitely agree with that. Now I, I know you're busy and stuff a lot of times. I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've been rolling for a pretty good amount. Um, do you have any, like, I don't know, maybe I've kind of hit you with some questions and stuff like that. Um, and we've kind of steered through some of the past competitions, covered a lot of good stuff, in my opinion. Um, is there anything that, like, maybe you have questions for me, or is there any other topics that maybe we glanced over that you're like, ah, like, now that I think about it, I want to dive in on this. Do you have anything that, like I said, we looked over, or just maybe any random questions for the host, I guess. We have covered a lot, but like to know, man, is, is, you know, especially for me taking this year, both out of contest. uh, Actually, I think I've considered an active in all the leagues right now. So I don't think I've had, I don't think I've had an active contest results in over 15 months or something like that. Like, I think, I think they probably, I bet they probably pulled me and Tanner off the rankings for a bunch of shit. Who is currently running the different weight brackets at this point? Like with some of the people who are not competing in the last year and a half, two years, who's kicking ass right now? Um, I would say if we, uh, and it might vary because there's certain things like the Arnold where like, okay, you get these big powerhouses, but they do a one-off and then you don't see them compete in any other event. Yep. You know, like I mentioned, like Kim Johansson, like he's competing in Sweden, but I'm not keeping up with every grip competition in Sweden. So he came and beat Carl well, at the about, Arnold. Just yeah. USA. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if they've been to an expo, that's cool. If they haven't been to an expo, don't rate it against yeah. them. And if they've only done expos, that's fine too. What, what would you yeah. say? Um, right now, um, consistently, if I mean, if I just go back to like the recent stuff, I really one person that I think, and I and I hate to like, sound cliche or repeat it, but uh, Ben Helms being his first year grip and doing the shit that Ben's doing, Ben's going to be a problem. He's already a problem for people. And uh, whether it's, if, if Ben happens to cut down to that, uh, if, if he's in that one Oh five mark and he makes two thirty one, he's a nightmare. If what does he weigh right now? Um, I want to say Ben he look, is, he looks just burly. I, he, he's thick. Um, but 
he's about six two, six three, and he's thicker than me. So I mean, he walks. He's probably walking around mid to high two twenties. But okay. it's not, it'd be nothing for him to. I mean, you know, up what he's eating or something, and be two thirty five or two forty if he probably wanted to. Um, but I would say at one oh five, um, Ben's tough to beat. And if you go above that, Ben, you know, Ben's tough to beat. Um, for like U.S. competition, um, Jason Dingy has improved a lot of lifts over the years, and Jason is really strong. I mean, if you get Jason on like a napalm nightmare, I mean, he pulled like. 507 or 517 at nationals. And I think he misjudged his attempts because I think he had more in the tank. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe he pulls 520, 530, 540. I, I don't know because I feel like he just kind of undercut his attempts. So Jason is another guy that's right up there. Jed is still in the mix. Um, hey, real quick, what happened yeah. to us? And did he publicly talk about enough where you feel comfortable um, talking? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what the specific injury is. I think it might have just been training uh, so hard for nationals. He was just kind of running so much training up to nationals that maybe he strained something or overtrained it. But he just said that a lot of his training afterwards, it's like his one of his hands is causing him a lot of pain and stuff. And it's it's just affecting his lifts. It's one hand that's really affecting his lifts. And I don't know if there's like a diagnosis for it exactly. But uh, but I think it had to do with just the the way he was pushing himself up to nationals. Um, Jed will overcome that. But Jed, I mean, Jed and Jason are two names that are in that, in that mix still. Ben is the newcomer that's in that mix. Um, Nick Sanders, um, it goes by skillet hands. Nick is kind of like a strong man guy. He's, he's been competing in some of these things and he like two handed flask. He pulled like two seventy. It's like the current record or something. It's up there. So um, Nick's Nick's improving. And I mean, he's, He's a, he's another strong guy that's in that mix. So if you were to break down nationals, it was like Jed, Jason Dengy, Um, And I, I have to mention Luke Raymond still, depending on event lineup. Now, Luke is in a similar boat with me where single hand thick bar, I'm pretty good, but double hand thick bar, sometimes I lack. But Luke's thick bar has always been kind of his thing. But if you get Luke on some pinch events and uh, V-bar, little bighorn, I mean, Luke can pull with just, just about anybody. So... I mean, if I was going to say those guys I named, Jason, Jed, um, you start dropping down and wait a little bit. You're talking about like Ben Helms. Um, Devin Lee Brown has kind of come back to competing and he's ridiculously strong. So for the Super Series right now, I didn't compete this year for the Super Series, but looking at the charts, um, I think at 100 kg, um, it's Devin Lee Brown and Eric Roussain. So I mean, Eric has been, Eric's been pulling some seriously insane numbers on some lifts. Um, he's definitely improved. I mean, even from what he was before. So if you get around 93 kg um, or that 205 class, I mean, you're looking at guys, I, I'll i throw myself in the mix, even though some of these guys will best me. Um, but I'm not a slouch. If you show up and you're not on your game, I depending on the event lineup, I can pull some pretty good stuff. Um, Tim Butler is strong. Luke Raymond is hard to beat at 93. Um, Eric Roussain, tough to beat at 93. Like I said, you have Ben and now, some other guys. That, is there 100, are 100 kilo strength lifters that are showing up at that 205 limit? Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah. It, they, they are, they are special in the community, particularly Tim and Eric. 
the discipline they've used control their body composition. You know, so Eric, the first time I met Eric face to face, he came to one of my contests in Minnesota. And I remember he showed up like 225 and he looked like mm-hmm. Captain America. Um, seeing Eric be able to show up at 93 to 95 kilos, mm-hmm. he has no body fat on him and he looks like he's given up no strength at all. Um, yeah, I'd say his lifts has probably gone up. Like, I mean, he, I know he did like Canadian nationals not too long ago. Like about 230, 240 on Rolling Thunder, probably. Um, it, they lifted, um, I'm not sure about the Rolling Thunder. Um, I, I lifted against Eric at 90 kg um, two years ago at the Arnold, and he pulled a pretty good Rolling Thunder. I don't remember what it was. Um, then this last year, I stayed at, I, I dropped down to 90 for the Arnold, and Eric was at 100. Um, but it was a different handle. But I was going to say, like, for the uh, two and a quarter crusher, um, I want to say it was at, like, Canadian Nationals, maybe. But I want to say he pulled 230-something. Um, that's, I mean, but that's a nasty number for somebody. I mean, 205 pounds. I mean, he's pulling, you know, 230s. So it's like, man, uh, that rolling handle strength is insane. So that's something that, like I said, I mean, Eric, depending on the event lineup, man, um, Eric, Luke, those guys at 93, it's, you know, those are the guys I'm chasing. I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I I can maybe clip them in one event here and there, but to put the whole package together and beat a guy like, you know, Luke or Eric, I have more work cut out for me. And, and I know that um, it's, you know, been competing two years. I got, give me some time, you know, some of these guys been doing it a decade and have been strong. So uh, if we drop down to lighter weights, um, the, the depth of the divisions just gets lower. Um, you know what I mean? As you go down in weight, the, it and just doesn't so seem to be. Was, that was another thing we predicted that we're wrong on is there was this idea that at some point, like you're going to get a lot more lightweight competitors in and it just has never panned out. And it's funny because grip sport is, man, it, it, when you talk about the difference going from weight categories towards the lightweight end, it starts to get very level fielded. Okay. Like there's just not a bunch of guys, for example, who weigh 155 pounds that have hands as big as mine. You know what I mean? Like there gets to be a a greater similarity and man, we just haven't had it. And I don't think, I don't know if it's like a marketing problem or if it's the events that are being selected. But if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have told you that I would expect, you know, by 2022, 23, that we would have seen this explosion from like the 125, 135 pounds going into the 170s mm-hmm. with the thing that I would have been banking on would have been Japan, South Korea, maybe China, um, maybe India, just countries where generally speaking, the people are, are typically not a bunch of fat asses like us here. Right. And it just <laughs> never fucking happened. So maybe it will happen. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when we were, excuse me, buddy, when we were mapping out the very first super series, the question that, that we all were kept kicking around of just this smile of a thought was, does anyone know anyone in India? Because yeah. holy shit, <laughs> I you know in terms of access, it, there are a lot of sports that would cost a lot more money to play. And 
it seems like low barrier of entry. And I just, I just had it in my head that, man, there could come a day that you have thousands of lightweight competitors. Potentially the lightweight category would be the thickest of all. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, even, um, and like I said, there's, there's some international guys that I could list like, uh, from Australia, Australia has a pretty, pretty strong crew of some guys. Like there's yeah. Tom, Tom Denmead, um, is a 74 kg guy. That's strong. Uh, Ben Cossie is a climber saw, over there. I'll tell you what, the first time Cossie came over and lifted with Joe, Joe had messaged me. I mean, maybe five minutes after their session was over. Because the, I'm pretty sure the first time Ben ever saw the inch, he himself weighed at like 168, 169. I think Joe's bell was right at 171, 172, and he lifted it. Doesn't surprise pretty, me. Yeah, he's like, I mean, shit, ben, I mean, like, like Ben Cossey for uh, last year's King Kong. I, if I, you know, there's 200 plus competitors. So if I misquote this, you know, sorry anybody that's listening. Um, but yeah, Ben Cossey at the 74 kg class lifted good enough at last year's King Kong to have 193 kg. Yes. To outperform both weight classes above him. And he placed like 13th or 14th overall. So in, a, in a, like 160 pound body weight. So like that's a lightweight guy that would be like phenomenal. Now that's talking international. Um, but, uh, and then Joe, like you mentioned, Joe, Joe is another lifter that, I mean, if you talk that 105 kg, if we're talking GSI, um, if it's a one-handed lift, I mean, Joe has some things like maybe like for an axle where like his back or other things might be a limiting factor or a two hand lift. Maybe his right hand isn't quite as strong as his left in some aspects, but I mean, man, you talk about like a King Kong format as strong as Joe is. Yeah. I mean, single hand, I mean, it's really good. So Joe's another one of those guys like, you know, Joe and Ben at that weight class, like I said, I named uh, Ben Cossey and Tom Demmead for lighter weight guys. Um, but they're, those are just some of the more phenomenal kind of lifters that I guess, you know, you see them and they're beating the guys that are bigger than them that they probably shouldn't beat, or they're making it look easy. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be, I guess, a generic rundown. I probably left some people out. Someone's probably like, man, why the fuck didn't Zach say me? And it's like, dude, I'm, I'm making stuff up on the spot. So if I, if I left out somebody that's like right there on the cusp of, you know, being elite with all these other people, I apologize. But, um, I guess I'm just kind of throwing names around that I feel are relevant from recent competitions and, uh, you know, just rattling off performances I can remember. Um, I probably overlooked a few people, maybe left some out, but yeah, I would say, like I said, there's a few guys still hanging around from, I don't want to say like your day because like you, you, like you said, you maybe been inactive a little over a year, but like, you know, Jed's around, Luke's around. Um, and, uh, I, I think it'll be exciting for, um, whenever you do get motivated again, or you have that right timing lineup for what you have going on in life, I think it'll be awesome to see you or Tanner or uh, even Isaac. I plan on getting Isaac on here sometime too, because Isaac is one of those guys I feel like that flies under the radar. Um, doesn't compete as much or doesn't get the opportunity to compete as much. Well, but I, Isaac it, is strong as hell. Here's here's if somebody doesn't get how strong Isaac is, I'll tell you why they're calling it wrong. Okay, they they've seen a score sheet or two, and they've seen Isaac come in fifth, fourth, or third. So they're thinking, well, he's not winning contests. Well, that's because yeah. all of Isaac's contests, he's lifting with me, Tanner, Clay Edgen. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, all the contests he's coming to. Like we've we've had some contests here where you'll have 15 guys lifting, and seven of them 
are opening at 380 and jumping to 415 on the axle. Yeah. Like it, they, they just, they might not understand. Like it's not that Isaac's not winning his contest is that Isaac's competing in a bracket. Like I'll tell you this, if Isaac, if Isaac wanted to compete hard this year and didn't share any numbers and rolled out to some of the other States, they wouldn't know what the hell they're looking at. He, he, no, he's yeah. problem, man. He's, he's consistent all the way around. Um, we've, we've had enough events that I feel like he's worked out the early contest jitters. He's more consistent making his picks for events. Um, Isaac has one of the best gyms out of probably all of us. That fucker has pairs of inch dumbbells from like 90 pounds to 250 or something. It's, I've never yeah. seen some dumbbells in one place. Yeah. He's actually set to come over here and pick up a bell. As next couple of weeks, I'll see him in the next few weeks. I'm sure. Okay, he yeah, only, he's he's another one of those guys. Okay, he's another one of those guys that, like I said, I mean, I I would throw his name instantly in the mix if there was just like a recent competition that he did. But talking to him online and seeing his training, I mean, I I know what Isaac's capable of. So, you know, I like I said, I definitely like to have him as a future guest, and then uh, like to see him compete. But yeah, I, I think that like right now, um kind of with you being on like a, a little hiatus and kind of, you know, you got, you got your eggs in different baskets. Or you're doing different stuff. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's a few guys like Jed and Luke and, you know, that are in Jason Dingy, you're still sticking around, um, still doing a, I mean, pretty regular competition schedule. And uh, Eric, Eric's been competing a lot. And like I said, I think Eric's improved a lot of lifts. Eric, depending on the lineup is not only hard for someone that's in his weight class, but I mean, guys above him, he's, you know, he's, he's knocking off if they're not, uh, kind of on their game. So, uh, that would be most of the names I would drop. But yeah, I mean, if you and Tanner were to like hop back in the mix or some of those other guys from Texas, like an Isaac or something, I think it would just, uh, it would only just shake things up more and make things more fun at this point, because there's, there's still kind of that old crop that's around and the veterans, so to speak, that, I mean, you guys would jump right back in that mix and then it's like, okay, the pool just got way more interesting. But then we have these guys that are just popped up like the last two to three years that aren't slouches and they're only improving. Like, yes, like, like Ben, I mean, for Ben's first competition, just, just, just an idea. And I, like I said, I'm not trying to like harp on the Ben thing. Ben has, Ben gets plenty of credit, like, and it's, it's due because he's that strong, but like Ben for, uh, like Ben for uh, nationals, I mean, I think he block set uh, one sixty five and maybe narrowly missed a one seventy RGC for a gripper. I mean, and that's and he just started doing grippers, but I, I mean, he he didn't even train grippers. That's like Ben yeah, with no just, grippers. Do it that day. So I mean, that's been like showing up first time at nationals and okay, he trained grippers for like maybe two weeks. It's not really training grippers. Um, since then, you see him shut like a one eighty three. You know, he'll like parallel set and shut like a 183 and close like a three and a half. So Ben's improving. So that's the thing I say. I, I mentioned Ben a lot because he's in that new crop of guys, but like we haven't seen the best from him. And he had a lift at uh, Nationals. He pulled 231 on Little Bighorn, hit the knock bar, but it slipped out of his hand. So, I mean, that's a guy, you know, you pull 231 at your first Nationals on Little Bighorn. Um, and we'll see what he pulls at heavy hands because that's going to be contested. So, uh, but like I said, that lift didn't count, but I'm just saying there's very few guys their first year that start pulling two thirties on little big horn that slam grippers in the one eighties. And then you add in the inch bell cleans and like 
being in the two twenties and pulling a 500 axle is just fucking insane. Um, to me, the clean is the, is just absolutely the most spectacular thing he's accomplishing. And the part that I like is that I'm under the impression, okay, there's two kinds of lifters, bro. Mm -hmm. There's one kind of lifter. And I'm talking about in this realm of community that they might hit a particular thing and they say, okay, I've checked the box and, and now I'm kind of bored and I want to do the next thing. Right. And then there's people that they do the thing and then they keep doing the thing. Yeah. And ben doing like Ben is doing right now, exactly what I would be doing if I was in that same step that to me, if you can clean the inch, that means you better get to cleaning it all the fucking time. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like you guys will know the day that I clean the inch, which I have not done. You'll know I clean it because then it'll just be me cleaning the inch every damn day because that just makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Ben is doing exactly what I would want to see him do. Like, don't, don't be a dude who you did clean it, but then you didn't keep up with it. Yeah, and then you're you going to hang your hat on one lift and then you just kind of can't duplicate it. The, the, I think the bigger thing is, is, is there's things that we view as a feat but it, it truly is legit training. You know what I mean? Like oh, a lot absolutely. of yeah. incredible feet of strength, but they're not chasing it in a way that they do it in an organized way through the month of training. And, and on the flip end of that is, is I think, and Ben will, Ben will be the one to prove this right, is that if you were somebody and that was routinely part of your training, that it, it's gonna, it's gonna bring your top end so freaking just so high up. Um, and it's not, it's not even just about cleaning the inch. It's okay. That's a lot of weight to explosively rip up to the shoulder. It's trying to spin and turn away. It's awkward as hell. Like he's, he's putting himself in a spot where he will probably have some absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous numbers. Like when you really start seeing that year three, year four marker. Oh, absolutely. Because this, that that the the best results someone gets they don't even scratch until year three and four you know what i mean so is that year one if they're scary year one they're going to be terrifying later yeah and like ben's blobs like he uh ben clean blobzilla so i mean like that that kind of shit i mean cleaning blobzilla and 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 everybody likes the inch cleans that's that's a hot topic but uh like just a bonus info, like I and you haven't been maybe seeing as many videos kind of stepping back from the social media side of things. But like I had been here at the house and uh, I have a 180 pound inch dumbbell and Ben cleaned that like the same as the others. And then he stepped up and I have a, uh, a hall bell. That's a, it's yes. supposed to be 80, 85 kg, but it came in a little heavy. It's like 191. And I mean, he ripped it up and basically had the bell vertical. He just couldn't get under it. So I mean, he almost cleaned a fucking 191 pound bell. I mean, I like. And that, he, that really maybe two more trips over to the house and he gets it right. <laughs> he might, like I said, I don't underestimate much he does anymore because it's like every time you tune in, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with this um, being more old school, like, you know, like the blob cycle where it's like a deadlift, uh clean, the snatch, the curl, he just did that with uh, the next gen 50 pound blobs. He just did doubles. So he did double lift, double clean, double snatch, double curl. And anybody that has done that 
like a blob cycle, anybody who's cleaned or snatched the blob understands how much that magnifies when you add a second one in the picture. It's much easier to stabilize and move with a one hand clean. And uh, for, for, I mean, Ben to do that, I mean, Ben did like the blob cycle with a fat man, which I don't think anyone had ever done. Um, Jed had snatched a fat man, but I don't think Jed had done the cycle with it. And I think Ben was the first to do like the full cycle um, in a row. And then I've never seen anybody take 50 pound blobs. And I'm sure there are guys. I mean, we could name giants that maybe could have done it. Um, they didn't do it, but, but yeah, I mean, Ben's pulling off some phenomenal stuff. So like I said, I don't want to go on a tangent, but if we're naming these guys that are coming up that next crop, that it would be awesome to, uh, I guess, to, to wrap that point up. Some of the OGs are still around. You're, you know, definitely not done with the sport. It's, you know, you're talking about what you're going to be doing at 44 or how lifts are going to be stronger. So you're not going away. There's these other guys, you know, Jed's been around 20 plus years at the top. He He's still going to be here. These other guys, but, but then you have these like new prospects like Ben that are doing shit like that year one. And it's like, fuck, I want to see like Ben, Adam, Tanner, Jason, Jed. I, I just want to see every, you know, all, I just want to see all this just collide. You know, I just want to see how it shakes out. If if we do our job the right way, the curve, but first of all, what is considered very good today will not be considered as good in the future. And then the curve of what it takes for someone to, to shoot should be improving. And, mm-hmm. and then that would happen is, is people would be wasting less time. Okay. So, um, I can remember. I, like I can, I can tell you right off the bat, I, there was a whole bunch of people that got started. If you look at like 2004, five, six, and, all right. And they were doing their first year of training with like tremendous amounts of things like barbell wrist curls. Okay. Is a barbell wrist curl bad? Well, no. Is a barbell wrist curl useful for anything in the realm of how we currently can test grip sport? Useless. Mm-hmm. right it, you know what i mean like there there were yeah. people investing a lot of time doing thing that was probably not productive and i think the other x factor that has made the biggest change it deals with availability of equipment so if you were to jump back even 15 years ago getting an inch dumbbell out i mean they're fucking nearly impossible to get right now but getting yeah. an inch Getting getting an inch dumbbell in two thousand eight or nine, where it didn't even matter how much you had, where are you going to get it? Um, the the there was a time that almost all equipment it was it was more or less you could get it from this one place or you couldn't get it all, and that's just not true. Uh, I in fact. I can't even think of anybody who's selling what we could truly describe as a unique grip tool at this point. Right. You know what I mean? There's, Mm -hmm. there's four copies of everything with those two things combined. We should see, and I'm talking about people who want to compete. We should see the curve of when they jump in to hitting good numbers and what we call good accelerating primarily just because of better choices and more availability. That, that would be like, um, I can tell you, if you look at contest records, like 2008 and nine, there was maybe one or two contests a year that somebody would hit a 400 pound double overhand axe on Ironman bar. Now in 
almost every weight class, except for the lightest weight men, there's mm-hmm. someone who can do 400, with usually yeah. a bunch of them, right? Well, it, it would not surprise me if in another couple of years that almost every weight class has basically got multiple lifters doing double body weight up until about the 250 pounders. Yeah. Right? It wouldn't surprise me to see a whole crop of 220 to 231 guys that all could pull double body weight pretty easily. It wouldn't surprise me to see a lot more 500s out of heavyweight lifters. You know, um, it won't surprise me if, if at some point, if we do see something like a no shit 600 pound double overhand on a two inch bar, like all the numbers that people said were impossible. That's literally the history of all weightlifting. We go, oh, there's no way anyone can ever do this. And then somebody fucking does it. And then a bunch of people do it. Yeah. And, and it's like the same way we talk about with like, uh, not, I mean, it's like, uh, like rock climbing. No one's ever climbed this. Well, then they climb it. Well, now it's possible. Well, now someone does it in three hours. Now it's a routine route. And yeah, that that is uh, just, it, it's kind of how the sport evolves. Well, this is impossible. Well, someone lifted it. Okay. That barrier is knocked down. Now we just, that's the standard. We all try to meet that. Um, so I, I agree. I think that'll, that'll happen. But like I said, with uh, uh, so some of the veteran lifters, they're still, they're still, I, I had a talk with someone not too long ago. And like I said, I hate to drag this out. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, where there are certain lifts like um, Tanner and Tim Butler lifting uh, like 265 and 259 on Little Bighorn, that's going to stick there for a minute. That's not exactly like, I don't think that 260 on Little Bighorn's ever just going to become the norm and like, oh, that's going to be like a 10th place lift in a couple years. I, I could be wrong, but I think there are certain lifts that like stand the test of time better, but then there are other lifts where it's, it's like, I mean, man. Even then, when the person says that though, okay, so yeah. out of lifters, Tanner, Tim, me, Lucas, and Ivan Krivik in Russia, we all have done over mm-hmm. 265 Little Bighorn. Yeah. And training, yes. most of us have done 75. Yeah. So if for some of these people, if they would maybe just quit telling them, like maybe they're just telling themselves the wrong lie. Maybe the lie of yourself is I totally can do this. And you totally can't, but you keep trying. Yeah. Rather than pretend like that's the limit. Um, I'll tell you, King Kong in, what, what year do we do that? What year do we do it in the garage? 2020. King Kong we had here at the house. Right before the fire. Um, so I ran out of attempts and I fucked up cause I just opened too early. So I held 260 at lockout, like complete pause. Like, like, like I would have mm-hmm. done it. The- and I was just out of attempts. So it'd be dickish to just keep going. I could have did 275, 280 that day. That fucking yeah. thing welded into my hand on that day. That was just a good day as, as more people maybe just believe that they can go farther You'll you'll see that it wouldn't, dude. It would not surprise me. Rolling Thunder. It wouldn't surprise me if you see a point in the league where your mid level lifters, two hundred to two twenty, are all pulling two forty, two fifty range. Yeah, I think I guess, it's I, mean, I, I think it is too. I mean, because a lot there's a I don't say a lot of guys, but I mean that two hundred pound mark has kind of been a a standard for that handle, I guess, and it's hardly contested anymore. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you're seeing most people already break that 200 pound barrier pretty regular. And then you got the 210, 220. I mean, there's, 
you know, there's already guys doing that. So yeah, I mean, and we, and we know there's so many more out there that can do it or with a little bit of time would be right in that same mix. Um, so yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to kind of see, like you said, four years from now, all of your lifts have the potential to increase and should increase from what you've done. Um, a lot of these leaderboards are probably going to shift the same way because most of the serious competitors feel that way as well. Like I don't plan on lifting less two years from now than I am right now. I, every, I, you know, Ben's not going to lift less, you know, next year. It's like, everybody's kind of climbing. So uh, that's why I said, like, I think if, if we get like all the big names plus the new crop kind of just mixing it up over these next few years, or I don't know, four or five years, whatever it ends up being um, when it makes sense for everybody to compete and stuff. I just think that uh, I think the sport will be in a real fun place because like, I would enjoy seeing people that like, okay, these are the first names I saw when they were in the sport. Okay. These dudes are still around kicking ass and like right at the top too, you know? Okay. I also get to lift against them. That's, you know, it, it's like, there's like just a double bonus to it. The the veterans are still around. You get to compete, you get to learn from them. You get the chance to possibly beat somebody. Um, and like I said, you just kind of get to see both worlds kind of collide and just that not like the next generation take over, because like I said, there's still a lot of these, like these guys like you, Jed, that I mean, are in their forties that are like, no, they're not going away. They're going to be a problem for years and years, you know? So. And, no, and it'll, it'll happen. The the biggest X factor. And if I had to predict what, how, how do you make that happen more likely? And how do you not? If when you have more events happening, you have more opportunity. And I think the biggest problem, especially, especially, when I think about some of the people I know where they're, they have, you know, their kids are approaching a high school age, mm-hmm. their ability to compete is limited, but they're not able to necessarily articulate that. It's hard for them to say that the only time in this coming year I could lift would be in October because they don't know that until they get there. And and that's why I really do think that when we just see a lot more contests being had, and especially it, people usually need to build up some momentum. So if we can get it to the point where a local, like, you know, okay, where you're in Virginia, if a guy could be in that Southeast corner of the country and say within an easy car distance, you know, four to six hour drive, he could be hitting four five, six locations over the course of a couple months that builds the motivation to say, yeah, I'll fly to Vegas or yeah, I'll fly to LA or yeah, I'll go up to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that will be what changes it the most is just when you can set the stage where someone's going to be able to imagine that they will be able to compete this calendar year, even if they're super busy, it, it then feeds forward to them being quicker with that. Yes. Cause, it, cause there's some, if you call them and say, come to my contest, they'll come out. Um, and there are other people where you need to give them, it's not about giving them enough time in advance. It's making sure they've been fed into something beforehand that would even motivate them to want to try. Yeah. Cause I live down the road and they won't come out to a contest and that's, it's not that they don't like to compete. It's, it's that they haven't competed in so long. They've maybe forgotten something. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I get that. It just, so I feel like that will be what will make the biggest turnaround in the coming years when there are more opportunities to compete, you're going to see a lot more people coming back as more people come out. Like in my mind, one of the things, one of the things that will happen, because he's only a couple years older than me, some point Andrew Derniat is going to get tired of running ultra marathons and triathlons 
and he's going to be happy to just stand still and pick up a weight. That'll be the <laughs> back to Ohio. Yeah. And it's funny because we've kind of spoke about like, man, it'd be cool if some of these guys who stepped away from competing for so long came back and it, he's kind of been mentioned, but that's one like for you that you've competed with numerous times. So I think that though, everyone remembers in 2019, Andrew came out to the Arnold and he did the day one of the first arm lifting meet that was there. So he came out for rolling thunder. So Andrew had been doing endurance sports for six straight years. I know he lifts, but I doubt he was training his grip stuff. Andrew did 255 on Rolling Thunder that day. Yeah. That was weighing under 220. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's that's kind of the preview is here's a guy who hasn't even competed, probably not even training this event anymore, and he just showed up because it's in his backyard to come say hi to everybody. And that was like one of the top lifts for the day. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's going to be some people that um, – Chad Woodall is another one if – if Chad decided to get back into grip sport tomorrow, all the people who are not familiar with that name, you'd all know that fucking name. You yeah. know really well. There's, there's 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 a lot of guys like that that I yeah. you, you kind of dream about them. It's like a fantasy matchup or something. Like man, I wish they would just come back for one comp, shake things up, and um, but yeah, you know, maybe we will see that. You know, as time changes, you know, maybe they drift back to the grip world for some reason, and uh. I don't know. Like I said, then you get to kind of get some redemption with Andrew, try to beat him in a competition or uh, like I said, just get to see some of the bigger names um, mix it up. But, but yeah, man, Adam, uh, like I said, we've been rolling for a decent time, man. I, I I was trying to keep them shorter, but like I said, me and you both get to rolling and we both kind of can ramble when we talk a little bit. Um, But it's because I, I enjoy the subject so much and there's so much to be taken from it, but I also don't want to hit somebody with like four and five hour episodes because then it almost gets to be a little bit much. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of wrap it up up with where we're at now. And then man, there there's future times where, like I said, if I do um, maybe a topic discussion or I get like three or four guys on here to discuss something about the sport, um, maybe I snag a time that works for you and maybe I jump you in on a panel or Maybe we have you back for a second thing. So like, we don't have to cover every single thing ever right now, you know, to where we just do an endless conversation that, because like I said, I could talk for 10 hours about grip stuff or philosophy and we could, we could do it all day, but um, there's plenty more opportunities where um, I could get you on the show doing other things, um, a second interview. So we, we can leave that for another chapter, but man, uh, thanks for taking the time. Of course. And, uh, very informative. I think that uh, although this might be one of the longer episodes we've had, I kind of knew that going into this, I kind of knew that we might get on some tangents. We might get, you know, branch off a lot. And I, that's kind of what I wanted. That's what happened. Um, So anybody that complains about it being three hours or something insane, break it into pieces. Um, If you're serious about training, if you're serious about listening to just, I don't know, philosophy, psychological side of training, different things. If if you just want to hear about the history of uh, training, Adam named a bunch of historical stuff that a lot of people aren't aware of, like break it into segments, listen to it while you train, listen to it while you drive to work, whatever the case may be. Like don't complain that the stuff is too long because you guys would complain if I had Adam on here and he got rolling real good on a story and then I cut him off at 15 minutes, you'd want more. So you got a good amount to chew on for a bit. And uh, like I said, we'll keep these uh, discussions going keep the interviews rolling and uh adam i don't know when um it'll ever happen but 
at some point I got to get out to Texas and I got to be out there at the barn and I got to just see what I can pick up, man. And whether that's a, whether that's a competition, whether that's just a training session. Um, yeah, it's got to happen at some point. So I got, I got to get out that way and train with you sometime. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one saying this, but whenever you get done doing what you're doing or whenever training makes sense and the stars align, uh, me and a lot of other people are looking forward to you coming back on the competition side as well. So thank you. But yeah, so I'll go ahead and I'll sign off with that, man. But yeah, Adam, uh, anytime, welcome on the show, man. And uh, just thanks for spending this much time and giving us this much insight. So man, appreciate it. Pleasure. Yep. Thank you.